drop the gun, you are under arrest. Thank you for your cooperation. Good night. I'll buy that for a dollar! <laughs> Do you expect me to talk? episode 156 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm Becca and joined by my fellow law enforcement co-hosts Chris Byrne and Dave Bond. How are you? Good evening folks. I'm buying something for a dollar, for a dollar apparently. <laughs> I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah. When this film is set like 2029 or whatever, what do you reckon you'd get for a dollar? <laughs> Not a lot. Yeah. Particularly on expected inflation from the late 80s, which has obviously been lower than that. But there you yeah, go. it's kind of like an insult. So, yeah, I'll buy it for, like, you know... Whatever the a, cheapest a, a small amount, is. A small amount. Yeah, and you're basically being offered a threesome. Is that all you're willing to do? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some champagne? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we're so excited. Um, this week, we begin a new retrospective series... I've inserted a cheesy quote here, but I'm not going to say it because you've already said it. So I'll just instead say, dead or alive, you're coming with me. As we review Robocop, starring Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Miguel Ferrat, Kurtwood Smith, Ronnie Cox, Dan O'Hellhey, Ray Wise and Felton Perry. With a score by Basil Polidoris, written script written by Edward Neumeyer and Michael Miner, directed by Paul Verhoeven. That's how I'm going to pronounce his name, so apologies. From the director would... of Showgirls. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, that just takes me back to the um, Adam and Joe fake version of it. And anyway, yes, released in 1987. Uh, talking of uh, showgirls, that was the first thing that came to mind when they said there was a character in the new Bond film called Nomi. Because ah. the lead character in Showgirls is called Nomi, and I always thought, what a ridiculous name that sounded then. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is it going to be a first name or last name? I don't know. It's we'll a first have to find name. out. Nomi, N-O-M-I. But yeah, Elizabeth Berkeley's character in Showgirls is called that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> funny, Paul Verhoeven sort of went on to do kind of, he did, well, he did Total Recall next, and then he mm. sort of went into like the erotic thriller, didn't he? Yeah. It was, but um, was it Basic Instinct, wasn't it? He did Basic Instinct after Total Recall. Uh, and then I think he probably did Showgirls next. Yeah, he did Showgirls next. Then he did Starship, Shoot, Starship Troopers, which is probably the closest thing he ever did to this. Yeah, that's probably one of his more controversial um, films. And the film I didn't know he'd made was Black Book. 
he did go back into his native language to make the oh, war yes, film yes, with Clarence. Yeah, yeah. He, he did that um, uh, Invisible Man film, was it? Um, Hollow Man. Hollow Man, Hollow yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah. He does kind of delve into, I mean, main thing I sort of know about is obviously like sci-fi sort of thrillers and with a touch of body horror. Um, but yeah, if, if films like uh, Black Book, for example, there's, it's kind of more like sort of intrigue, mystery, a little bit of you know historical drama as well. It's a good film. Mm, no, really good film. Good I think film. I saw it upon this release. Was his, this was I'm surprised by English. it. This was his second English language film after Flesh and Blood, mm-hmm. which is a Rutger Hauer film. Rutger Hauer having passed away since uh, oh. since we last recorded, so we didn't uh, kill him off. he's safe from us. He's safe from us now. We didn't do it. <laughs> we didn't do it. He didn't uh, fall under the. Uh, well, uh, well, well, it's one of those weird things where it, when when his death death was announced, he he like oh he died like the previous week. He just like it wasn't announced at all, so he was like kept it like completely private. Yeah, which is fine. It's yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah, I always have a problem when the press do that. So and so secret battle with cancer, and you go, "No, that's the wrong word. It's private." Yes, private. Yeah, don't own these people. Uh, died they, at seven. They keep it from us, you know. <laughs> yeah. Although obviously we did discuss him in Batman Begins, but he survived a couple of years after that, so I don't think we're directly responsible. Yeah. Um, Edward Newmyer, who wrote this, uh, this was his first uh, script, I believe. Um, and funnily enough, talking about Rutger Hauer, he said the initial idea came from seeing a poster of Blade Runner. Now, he said his first draft was 81. So I'm assuming with Blade Runner being an 82 film, that what he saw was a coming soon, like a teaser poster for it. Uh, he was talking to a friend. He saw this poster and he said, what's that about? And he said, oh, I, and the friend very simplistically and reductively said to him, oh, it's about cops chasing robots. And then he, they got into a conversation about cop robots as an idea. Um, and that sort of it sort of went from there. Um, it's a long way from there to what we ended up getting. It ended up being merged with somebody else's script. Somebody else had written a script called Super Cop, which was similar. Um, from there, he's gone on to. He was quite young when he did that. Uh, that was he was only about twenty four when that came about. But he did he did write on the the, the original sequel to this film, which we're going to cover next week. He wrote on Star Trip uh, Starship Troopers, I believe. He wrote on the nineteen uh, the two thousand and fourteen remake of Robocop, which we'll cover in actually four weeks because we've got a Tarantino film in the middle. Um, and he is partnered up with Neil Blomkamp for the uh, Robocop Returns film, which is going to basically be a little bit like Terminator Dark Fate and just follow on from an earlier film. It's going to follow on from the first film and ignore sequels and reboots and stuff and actually try to use the stylings of this film. He said, I want to make Blomkamp said, I want to make it as though it was Paul Verhoeven's next film after the first one. Mm. So we'll wait and see how we go with that. Um, other points of interest with it, uh, Paul Verhoeven, when he first saw the script, literally threw it in the bin, a bit theatrically, to be fair, because there's no need for that. But his, I think his wife took it out and sort of had a little look at it, the script, that is. And um, <laughs> <laughs> not, not give, 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 give it a bit of polish, you know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that script. Oh, well, let me cheer you up. Um, and she had a, she had a look at the script. <laughs> I've got to overstress all of this stuff. And actually said to him, there's stuff in here that's worth looking at. And when he sort of started looking at, at through the script properly, he started seeing the sort of satirical act. Satirical, is that the right word? Yeah, it's more satire, isn't is. it? Um, satirical implies humour. But yes, it's certainly social commentary um, that this film could offer. And obviously that sort of came from that. Uh, in terms of casting... 
obviously Peter Weller. I don't really know what Peter Weller was known for before this, if anything. The only thing I remember from around this era was Blue Jean Cop, which I can't remember if it's before or after this. Probably after, I think. Yeah, the original idea was a was a uh, a much bigger physical actor to do the film. And I'm trying to remember who that was. I think, funnily enough, Rutger Hauer may have been one of the first choices for the film. It's in, it's in all the stuff I've read today somewhere, but I can't really remember what exactly. But there were a couple of choices. And, Schwarzenegger uh, no, actually, maybe one of them, wasn't he? Um, I don't remember seeing... Uh, oh, Michael Ironside was the other mm. possible. Um, I, again, I've, I always think of Michael Ironside as a bad guy, really, but... They chose Weller for a couple of reasons. One was, yeah, the bulky kit they were going to put the actor in once they'd sort of settled after several drafts on uh, of the design on this sort of outer shell that it was going to be. They realised they probably wanted a smaller actor. They needed someone slighter. They needed someone who they felt could... Funnily, funny how I heard it phrased, but it was something like could communicate pathos with literally just the bottom half of their face. Mm. Um, When Weather was cast, he trained very hard for it, but then got in the outfit and found he couldn't move in it at all. So they had to sort of stop and give him a little bit more time to sort of train because he trained in some sort of padded outfit for it. Um, The only other bit of casting that sort of evokes what we were talking about in the very last episode was we've always known that Pierce Brosnan very nearly played Bond in 1987 having been cast in 86 um the reason he wasn't for those who don't listen to our bond commentaries and i will have to slightly retell the story here when the when uh roger moore left the role in the mid 80s they went casting around for a new guy they looked at sam neill they looked at timothy dalton they looked at pierce brosnan they offered it to timothy dalton timothy dalton was off making another film and couldn't meet the dates they had so they went to Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan was cast. He accepted it. They even they did all the sort of photography, the poses with him and the Walther. I think they even did some reference photography for the posters and so on. And I believe somewhere there are posters existing of him in the living daylights. Uh, but he was filming a show called Remington Steel, which had just been cancelled. Uh, but there was a 60-day option on it that the, the studio had 60 days to change their mind. And what they were doing all the way through that 60 days was reruns were were continuing on TV of Remington Steel. Word got out that Brosnan was the new Bond and suddenly there was a spike in viewing figures. So the studio went fantastic and re-optioned it right at the end. Cubby Broccoli didn't want a guy who was playing a similar-ish role on TV, which people could watch for free playing Bond. He wouldn't, uh, so they... Brosnan had to drop out the sad thing being Remington Steel only did another six episodes because the viewing figures tanked again and that was that and we got Timothy Dalton and Brosnan came along in the mid 90s as we all know there was another casting sort of casualty from all of that the female lead of that show was a lady called Stephanie Zimbalist and she was cast in this film as Lewis the Nancy Allen character and Murphy's partner and she had to drop out when Remington Steel was re-optioned that so that was an interesting I think the only other thing I want to mention um, before we sort of go into what we think of the film and all the rest of it and experience with it is the task of creating the suit and all the sort of makeup effects went to a guy called Rob Bottin. Rob Bottin did the special effects for The Thing. 
Um, and when actually you see how they manage the sort of animatronics and the um, stop motion and the makeup and the visual look of this film. Yeah, this all kind of looks very similar, doesn't it? I think. Uh, whether it looked, uh, but he also worked. Uh, he was. Uh, he worked on The Howling. He worked on Inner Space. He works on Total Recall with um, Verhoeven after this. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if you remember the end of that film when Arnie's eyes are bulging out and all the rest of it, that was him. Um, and he went on to work on the first Mission Impossible and various other things. But The Thing is probably the film that sticks out to me. So a lot of the look of the films and the prosthetics and all of that sort of thing and makeup effects come from that man. What's your history with these, this film, guys? Did, when did you first see it? What did you think of it? That sort of thing. Um, well, I first saw it on recorded from a Saturday night on ITV. So I watched it on the Sunday morning. And uh, this was like before the days where I didn't realise that um, stuff was edited down on TV. I just thought, oh, they just showed the film and that's it. It's just have ad breaks. So, yeah. so like watching this, I was thinking, this is this isn't that bad at all. I, you know, I thought I thought it was meant to be like ultra violent stuff. This is meant to be really hard. This is this is like this is just no more than a twelve, really. You know. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, for quite a large part, so I I I went without seeing a very very edited version of it i mean yeah you saw like bits of blood and squib shots but it wasn't like to the extent that um the actual the yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, actually, like, the like like the stuff with murphy right you don't yeah. even see any like um when he first gets his uh, hand blown off that's cut out so you yeah. just see like him get shot with a, a shotgun and him get, getting up like sort of almost like squatting so you don't yeah. see anything else yeah <laughs> yeah I I am um, uh, and the the version because there is a like an uncut version and a theatrical release version, and the version on UK Netflix certainly, and I imagine it'd be the same anywhere in the world now is the uncut version. So his hand being blown off wasn't in the original US theatrical mm. cut. The bit with his arm being blown off isn't in it, um, and some of the gore around the first sort of Ed two hundred nine shooting in the boardroom isn't there. Uh, there's other things as well. Uh, a spike to Bodica's neck near the end of the film. You see, I think you don't quite see the spurt of blood afterwards because, along with headbutts, sensors were very um, sensitive to spurts of blood, particularly. It's just worth mentioning, actually, this uh, this film got an X rating 11 separate times. Oh, God. The NC 17 didn't exist at that time. That, that didn't exist till Henry and June years later, a, a Uma Thurman film. But. Um, which is worth seeing uh, for entirely unwholesome reasons. Um, so it got an X rating 11 separate times and they had to sort of take a little bit of the blood out and a few different things and it squeaked through with an R. And apparently the X rating is just, it's because the because the, you get more descent. Uh, Verhoeven always said that the cut version is actually more unsettling, but that's obviously something we can only guess about now the only other thing i did want to say that i forgot to mention at the outset is this film is made for a relatively skinny budget i I always thought sort of a big release like this it's quite ballsy to make it r-rated and stuff but actually it's only a 13 million dollar film and a million of that was was all the work they did on the suit so yeah it's only a 13 million dollar film so yeah you first started off with like a cut version of this basically so did yeah. you get a bit of shock when you saw the uncut one well it just it was like the slow drip of realization when you start like uh see like like read magazine articles like so you see the the stuff with like the the uh that the guy 
he turns into a monster after like going into like the the way oh. toxic waste. And, and you think I don't remember any of that in, in that film. So, but yeah, because the car misses him in the theatric in the cut version. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, in in the in the version in my in my first um, two, you just see like the band going to the sl- and and it and obviously it, like it floods out the back, but that's all you see. So you just oh, we crashed into you that and he died. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, in the theatrical version, the, he, he does come out like all of that, but he doesn't get hit by Bodega's car, I don't think. Oh, right. so he doesn't get like smashed to pieces. I think it swerves and misses him or something. They have to use alternate cuts and shots to get around it. But, um, yeah. So what about you, Becca? Did, when did you first see this? Do you remember? Oh, God. Um, no. <laughs> um, so it's your I first viewing? No, um, I don't think it would have been like a film studies because we were all under 18. Um, probably at university, I imagine, um, which is perhaps with friends. We made it on DVD or something, perhaps, or maybe a, a roommate had it. Um, and yeah, just sort of discovered it through there, really. Although I've, I don't have a memory of seeing any of the sequels, and I only found out recently there was a TV series. That's quite embarrassing. Um, missed the remake at the cinema as well unfortunately um i just swerved it somehow but as i say it's, it's kind of one of those films that's always been on my list to get around around to um it mentioned off offer that um somebody suggested doing predator for us that's another series that i've managed to avoid but all these kind of films have always you know they've been on my to watch list um yeah. and i'm kind of grateful to this podcast and for you guys for kind of for- not forcing me to watch them but bumping them further up my list shall we say yeah um well rocky was like that wasn't it well, exactly, and, and um, I think it will be the same when we get to Jaws. I'm not sure you've seen them. I'm look, well. I'm kind of looking forward to Jaws, but kind of not looking forward to it. Um, sadly, I, I, it it's was released. PG now. You've got nothing to worry about. <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah, I've been to Universal a couple of times, and you know, done the studio tour where he comes up and takes a bite out of you. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, there's, one, there's one part in Jaws I always get to, and then I can't watch anymore. It just freaks me out completely. Um, but I, you know, I, I like swimming and. It doesn't make me scared to go back in the water. Yeah. Um, any more than you know, it's like it makes me scared to take another shower. Um, but yeah, I can't really remember how. It's, it's, yeah, probably sometime after after you. Or it might have been at college. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's one of those films where I thought well, I've, I've you know haven't seen a ticket off my list. Um, yeah, some of the ultra violence, as I'll dub it. Um, was a little bit too much. Um, not too much. I kind of the, obviously the toxic Avenger at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, I sort of hid, hid between my hands, hid behind my hands. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, the way it's the way it's portrayed <clears throat> is kind of is quite excessive, quite cartoony, a little bit maybe like Tarantino-esque style, maybe. Um, in that respect, you know, kind of I can stomach that just about. But that's probably about my level of gratuitous <laughs> violence. The guy else. who gets hit by the toxic waste we've actually seen before in a tiny, tiny little cameo when he was a much younger man. There's a bit in Rocky Two where a guy in a cast on his head asks Rocky to sign it that's him aha that's that guy he's a little had a little guy with a shock of red hair yeah yeah he later to be like one of the main cast of ER though didn't he later on he did he went on to be uh, Romano I, um, yes, I, so watched it, I watched it long enough that he was in it and then I went off to university and did other things and I I stopped watching it not because it was bad I just my life moved in a different direction I didn't get around to it but I am aware of the Romano character and that's him and that's probably what he's best known for mm-hmm. in, in with general audiences anyway 
But um, so yeah, um, yeah. So I, I guess the other sort of casting things, I guess, just almost fairly randomly, just picking on a few things. Miguel Ferrer is someone we've uh, only mentioned on this show because we were recording when we found out he died. So if you go back to something we recorded in early 2017, it would possibly be Superman somewhere around there or one of the commentaries around there. It was before we mentioned him as well because he would have been in Iron Man 3, so that would have been before. Yeah, yeah. He was in Iron Man 3, yeah. didn't he? So, so yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't suffer the curse. So, yeah, um, so that wasn't our fault. <laughs> yeah. Kurtwood Smith was, uh, you notice he's, he's uh, apparently, I always think of him as a villain now, but he was known for playing... He's playing very much against type here, and the putting him in the rimless glasses and stuff was trying to just draw out a distinction between his look and his character mm. because that's a little bit more scholarly in sort of stereotyping. He's uh, known for so, kind of playing like intellectual roles as well, and plus he was the dad on that seventies show. <laughs> yeah, and Ronnie Cox similarly. Ronnie Cox yeah. did not play bad guys at this point in his career. Yeah, he, he was very much cast against um, against type here, wasn't he? But yeah. it's it's really effective because they are actually quite good villains. As well, they, you know. They, I think they're both brilliant. superb. Um, really good performances all round. Because you, you know, because Roddy Cox, you know, does that I'm an arsehole executive stuff quite well. Uh, yeah. Whereas um, uh, Kurtwood Smith, I mean, it's all, it's almost like a touch of brilliance because he he has this really sleazy like because he, he he doesn't look like someone who should belong in this scene, but because of that there's a sense of unease about him because he's I just th- like. He's yeah. just so like um, almost like disease in the mind, but almost like just direct. He he, he strikes me someone, especially with, like with the glasses and his specific look. He looks like someone who spent years working in an office or for a firm somewhere and just went fucking insane. And he Who? has that Kurt Smith, yeah, yeah. And he's just like you know, do you know what I mean? And has that kind of dangerous look about him, the guy who will just he's just gone mad. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, cinematographer uh, Joss Vacano uh, is known for a load of Paul Verhoeven stuff, not surprisingly. Also shot Das Boot, though. Uh, Nancy Allen. Nancy Allen is was probably best known at this point for her roles in, well, I would think Carrie would spring to mind. Um, she was she was one of the characters in that. Uh, Chris something or other. I'm not quite sure without looking. Um, yeah, so that's what she was best known for. But she was also married to Brian De Palma in the early 80s and was in the film Blowout, which I would recommend to anyone. That's a John Travolta film along the same lines as um, The Conversation, Enemy of the State, those sort of man on the run from, from a sort of hidden... It's got a cracking ending as well. I won't say what it is, but it's got a cracking ending. Just an absolutely brilliant film. She's now, a requ- uh, again, other links to stuff we've covered. She's now retired from acting. Um, she retired in her 50s um, and started working in breast cancer treatment activism uh, because her close friend, Wendy Jo Sperber, died. Wendy Jo Sperber played Marty McFly's sister in Back to the Back to the Future films and died in her 40s. Um, so, yeah, that's just sort of minor, th- minor sort of things to, to point out as we as we go along and we'll talk about a few other sort of people as we go through it no doubt um do we want to just do some opening thoughts on the films guys as i've spoke most so far what do you guys want to start yeah becca what, what was your opening thought um yes <laughs> i tend to struggle a little bit with this films just because 
of the body horror and the ultra violence as I call it. <laughs> um, so it, it just kind of like jarred me a little bit. But I think it's certainly a you know really interesting filmmaker for sure. Um, and what strikes me also about his films um, is the you know the satirical quality. Um, you basically you know holding up a mirror to society. This you know this is what the future is going to be like um, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, which I think is really clever. Um, and it's one of like my, my favourite genres of those kind of like elements of like politics or or um, or satire. There, then I I tend to in, enjoy it because um, it's got a kind of like intellectual edge to it, even though I'm not probably not that clever. <laughs> um, but um, I films like um, like this kind of really they, you know they they stay in your memory basically. Um, so it's it's not just like your you know everyday action thriller where you sort of leave a brain at the door. Um, there's actually you know a multi-layered character as well, um, and you can see like their elements of, of Robocop or the Alex Murphy character is, is effectively a figure of Christ essentially um, there are lots of um, allegories you know to sort of the Bible and to being sort of almost um, a Christ-like role as well and um, so the way he walks on water towards the end um, and sort of like ways for damage bullets as well uh, being like a you know crown of thorns there's a lot of like religious um, elements there as well which is quite interesting to, to unpick um, but yeah, there's, there's lots of layers to this film. Like on one layer, it does kind of seem, you know, as if it's just like your your average, well not your average, but your typical action movie, you know, from the 80s. Um, but okay, yeah, when you start to unpick it, as you know, it's really multi-layered, and it's probably one. You know, if you're going to do a list of like all-time greatest films, it's got to be up there. Surely, it's really hugely influential as well. So I kind of, despite the the, the gore and the violence, I kind of this time around, I sort of enjoyed it more than I thought I would. So it's... anyway, yeah, Chris. It's very much a cartoony, isn't it, Becca? It's uh, it does have like a uh, of like, it's not very real world because it's always it almost looks like a cartoon. So maybe that's it. Like, does it's quite gratuitous, that... isn't it? I think as well. Like he doesn't the 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 guy at the end he gets shot by Ed, ED two oh nine. He doesn't. He just get he gets shot and then some. Like he's not left alive at the end of that. But yeah. it's 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 quite gratuitous and quite um. Cartoony, yeah, I think I think you're right in that respect. Especially um, with the uh, satire element as well, you know. Like, mm, uh, it was very satirical. Like you know, you got you got the old man there, and just like I've just seen someone just get butchered in the boardroom, and he's like, <laughs> "I'm very disappointed." <laughs> I'm very disappointed. <laughs> exactly. um, yeah, this is this is I, I kept thinking this film is almost like a little bit like a, a, a like a punk rock song, you know. It's mm. very much, it's very flippant with, you know, I don't think there's there's much intelligence in terms of thought drive, driving it, but it does, it's very visceral and it's, and it, I think it, it drives more, uh, more, for more intelligent discussion rather than, I don't think the film has anything, has a lot to say really, but it does provoke thought, so that that's one. As I said before, it's got two um, two really great villains. Um, it's... Yeah, performance is really great, definitely. Yeah. I didn't mention about that. But it's, it's interesting because obviously Detroit, Mich- like Michigan as well, is, is is really interesting, especially in terms of um, well, it's, it's Motor City, isn't it? Um, it's it's Detroit. You know, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, it's known it's known for its color motor production, um, and it's got, it's got quite an interesting, you know interesting history in itself and even though i think it was filmed in and around the city and also dallas um because it had quite a futuristic skyline yeah um which i think is, is pretty cool and, and pretty iconic as well so it's kind of you kind of got that um i'm struggling with my words here i do apologize it's quite hard um i, I think there, there is it does 
have a little bit of intelligence about it. It's kind of like the future of you know the, the city that's kind of pushing forward with industry, um, trying to become more motorised, more mechanised. And it's trying to think, you know, where is it going to take us in in the near future? What's going to happen? So we've got this, you know, everything's being controlled by. I say, you mentioned earlier about the Terminator series, um, very much like Skynet, kind of, you know, one one um, Omnicorp is it, you know, OCP, one company that's taking over everything that's you know invasive in every kind of aspect of, of your life pretty much um taking this idea of this country that's very country um city that's very much on the grow um and if you watch michael moore's documentaries that'll tell you how that turned out um and just basically kind of looking okay so what what could the negative outcomes of this be where, where you know if you kind of went down the road of, of corruption and all these shady deals being made in the boardroom where could that actually take us so yeah, there's like a little modicum of intelligence there, but I, yeah, I would agree it is very versatile for sure. Yeah, no, there is some intelligence. I was like being that, but it, it, you know, but saying it, it's very much straight up front with it, and I don't think it. And I think it's more about um, giving you stuff to chew on. So that, that that's what I kind of relate to a bit more of a, a punk rock song. Cause it's very much like yeah, fuck you kind of thing. Very happy go lucky. You know, it, it kind of knows that it's a silly concept and just like embraces it. Almost with a straight face. Uh, Although I don't know what the rights owners to this saw this property have as, yeah. seeing as they spun off into like animation. <laughs> yeah. And, and a TV like series. And by the third film, it's like PG 13. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. It, it's almost like they wanted their cake and, and eat it, in that I do think the 80s, the 80s stands out to me as a decade where for the first time they were let off the leash in what they could show in terms of sex and violence so when you i mean you can argue whether sex scenes are ever needed in most films that they're in but i saw more gratuitous use of that sort of thing in films of this era than any other and it really does come off as we can so we will so you know i think with a lot of films of this time they've just got a lot of content in them that are just Almost, I can't or will. Yeah, I, I, th- uh, I think I think that sums up the eighties in general, really, because I think eighties was a decade where everyone gen- generally just sort of like let loose. It's like, oh, finally, everyone started making money now after the seventies. Yeah. So everyone, and then like, yay, there's now no rules yeah. now. I think while that has its good parts because everyone's you know everyone sort of started experimenting a bit more. There was a little bit of a hang on. Should we do this? Should it needed there be to like, mature. It yeah, needed, you're going to include sex in films. You've got to embed it a little bit more intelligently than some yeah. of the films of this era. I mean, there's a tit shot in the start of this film that's there for no other reason than look. There's a pair of tits, and it's not actually shot particularly um, voyeuristically, but it's just it's just this idea of this is adult, and we're making it <laughs> as adult as we can. I I think what like boobies, I, <laughs> and I think, I think perhaps I think perhaps that's why some of the really thought-provoking stuff. Because I did get a copy of Down, Three Days of the Condor today because we've talked about it so much. But you know why films went in the sort of direction they did in the eighties might just be that they became much more um, everyone letting their hair down, satisfying and... your senses rather than your mind. In the, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, I think I, I think also it's a little bit like oh I don't want to think about responsibility too much. I just want like. The, the, you know the, the what's in, like I want to just like sort of like go with what's in front of me or, almost which kind of like 
it also explains like the you know the Wall Street kind of like get rich and to hell with everything else. Yeah, that absolutely. that kind of attitude. I think yeah. I think that was probably sums yeah. up the eighties like quite quite well, really. So fast food, what, fast and loose. What interests and... me about this film is just it, it's making all sorts of commentary that you would think about later. Without, I don't even I I can only think the director knows what he's doing. So, for example, we start off with we won't go too sequential yet, but we start off with like a news broadcast. Well, mm. first off, that reminds me, and Frank Miller's a name we're going to come back to through this series. But it reminds me if you go and read the Dark Knight Returns, <coughs> the Frank Miller uh, comic book you know graphic novel trade paperback whatever you want to call it there is a cartoon version of it that's voiced by peter weller funnily mm-hmm. enough peter weller is batman in the dark knight returns film um but a lot of the a lot of the exposition and scene setting and narration in that film in the same way as something like the captain's log is used in star trek on television not so much now with discovery but certainly you would come out of an ad break and then Jean-Luc Picard would be doing a captain's log in order to tell you where you were and what the next bit's going to be about. Uh, they do it through the news broadcast in this film, and that's very similar to The Dark Knight Returns. There's a lot of news broadcasty bits in that. And um, What I love about it is all these horrific cop deaths and stuff are voiced by a real newscaster, actually. The guy who's the newscaster in this, he's passed away now, but he's a guy called Mario Machado who was a real newscaster. Um, but it's voiced like the and finally item. So when you watch the news, you get all the hard hitting stuff like politics and murders and shit. And at the end, you get the flippant article about like a swan that saved someone's life. Yeah. Um, all of the news articles in this are shot like that. There's a bit uh, there and they're like, you know, it's all it, it all has that sort of flippant and finally thing. So death has been completely desensitized in this world, which tells you without having to tell you that it's that commonplace and that the society have become completely desensitized to cops lives. Hence they're about to strike because it's like, this has become nothing to anyone. Um, also there were, there were little shots. Like there's a bit where Robocop kicks a guy out or pushes a guy out of the window on his first night on duty and the cameras outside, literally you see the cameraman scan him down right to the floor as he hits the floor. You see, you his, le- see, see that, his legs but... like sort of like strike. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. But it's that voyeurism of this society as well. Mm. So it, everything has become about entertainment and the link between something being real and meaningful and impactful and it being there for entertainment has been lost. We've also got a world here where it is a bit of an extrapolation of the world it was made in because one of the very first articles they mentioned is something to do with Star Wars, which was not Star Wars the film, Star Wars Reagan's policy. Mm of militarizing space which i'm not super expert on but it was about basically a ballistic missile shield in space that was the idea i think um i don't need to be corrected on that but i'm aware i might be wrong on the actual detail of what that is um so all of that interests me the the cut between the cut between showing that sort of stuff and then going straight to advertisements but even advertisements of trivialized things so you get adverts for what's effectively the butler brothers or whatever they called nuclear war yeah they've made a game based around nuclear war you know and stuff (laughs) like that nukem that's it pakistan's brilliant border the casual indifference. No more foreign aid for you mister (laughs) yeah Yeah, no more foreign aid yeah so it's trivializing 
you know, big policy issues mm-hmm. and, and actually putting it in the hands of children who wouldn't remotely understand what they're doing. And that's endlessly fascinating. And it's cutting back to new, two newscasters and raw cheesy smiles. Yeah, they're kind of announcing, you know, that there's some yeah. political strife going in, you know, Acapulco, for example. In look. And they're sort of, you know, delivering the news with quite cheery, cheesy smiles. And in other news. And like, oh, yeah. And in look, in look, in look of the broadcast, it's very like Tim Burton's Batman. The two news mm, that. So all of that sort of social commentary is seeded in very, very well uh, as part of scene setting. So you don't have to stop the film to tell us any of this. Um, so I think it, it does stand comparison with some of the best films of the 1980s because there's so much more about it. And I, I find it very unfortunate for people who never engaged with this film because they don't know what it, what it is. I remember being in a supermarket or something like that with my father when this hit home release. And we walked past the video section and you know where they sell a few sell-through VHSs or whatever. And Robocop was there and he looked at it as only my dad could do and went, Robocop, you know, thinking it was some silly fucking throwaway sci-fi film. And actually, Starship Troopers suffered from the exact same thing. It looks very B-movie, and, and none of the sort of satire that's laced into that film, particularly as people like um, Denise Richards are in it, another Bond link, um, really comes across to, to people unless they sit down and actually watch it. But what you're actually watching is an extremely well-written, tight film. It's only an hour and 40 minutes or so. It, it's very efficient in what it's trying to tell us. All the satire is laced in really well. The visuals are dated, but very, very interesting. Um, the whole idea it brings up around ownership. That was another thing that made me think of uh, Star Trek. There's an episode I mentioned in the intro episode to that series where I talked about the episode Measure of a Man, where the whole idea of what is data, is he property, is he, is he owned by, that's addressed in this film, and we will talk about that scene to scene because there's a specific scene where it's mentioned. Um, you know, treating somebody and, and all their life and, and presence in the world as a commodity. It's very, very tight. Very, very well shot. Lovely score, or lovely is probably the wrong word, but a very evocative score from Basil Polidaris, who's probably best known for his Conan score. Um, And you passed away rather young, unfortunately. So I think that's all I'm going to say, without addressing the plot as we'll go through. I think this is a really, really interesting piece of work. It it is shot a little bit B-movie. It's like a high-budget B-movie. And I can understand why that would put people off. And the funny thing is they tried to make a franchise out of something that probably didn't quite have the mass appeal in this form that they thought it had. Uh, It took 50 odd million at the American box office. So it was it was a decent performer, but it was far from mind blowing or highest of the year or anything like that. But, yeah, I'd recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. I really would. Yeah, it's like the idea of this coming of like a franchise movie is almost like a gag that this film would would also make if it was that self aware. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? It, it almost yeah. felt like you know if it was able to make comment on on it, it probably would. Um, the second film opens like the second chapter in a franchise. It just mm-hmm. does. Think of the opening scenes of something like The Dark Knight, where you cut straight to him, sort of you know out on duty and breaking up a gang and that little bit to reorient you to the world robocop mm. 2 has that um but obviously we'll talk about that more next week because I, I remember not thinking much of that film but i've watched some of it already 
and I will w- watch the rest of it and probably watch it again. There's a lot more satire in the second one than I remember. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, that's it for now. Should we discuss this film sequentially, folks? And why not? Okay. And by Barry Norman. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah, so, um, what, Barry Norman? So we actually do no. start... We do actually start with a news mm. article, which we've almost sort of, you know, the nightly news. And it is about a cop who's been shot and he's hanging yeah. in there. Introduces us to, us to the body. Good luck, body Frank. <laughs> Good luck, yeah, Frank. Frank. And finally, Frank today's in hospital. You know, it's yeah. that kind of tone to it, rather flippant. We, we, we get introduced to, to the villain, even though via by a photo on a, on a video like of like the, the like a crime boss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is Kurtwood Smith's character. So yeah, we get stuff like kind of like it. It, it is an odd opening for a film because usually you want like an like an, an stab like um. You, you want to get a better sense of what, where we are, but we get it's like a like a newscast sort of t- it's like talking to us. It's like, oh, what's this? Um, and so where do we go from it's there? It's a superb scene setter, though. It yeah. just really is. It really sets the tone, doesn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. it sets the tone for the film definitely. Hmm. Cause now, I can't remember if we cut to the precinct first or OCP first. Basically, we go for that, so we also get an ad for, like, a heart, like a like a motor heart. The family heart centre. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. And, and <laughs> we care. <laughs> Don't forget, we care. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, we go to, like, the, the, the cop precinct where... You know, well, that's, we... that's another thing as well, isn't it? Obviously, like, healthcare in, in America is, is very hotly, you know, contented, very expensive, and you have to have the right kind of healthcare and... Of plan and all the rest of it as well, and it's just it, it fills me with dread. If, if, I, like, if I go to America and I fall ill, I just try not to be ill because you're going to be whacked with a massive bill afterwards. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my god. I think it's the fact that when you are over there, you'll see a commercial for like a drug, and it will say, "Yeah, it will." Ask, it, your, ask your physician about this drug. Yeah, and think, ask a doctor if this is right for you. Yeah, that, um, that's not the way round. It's meant to fucking work. No, <laughs> that, is, that advert is actually very accurate. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But it, it obviously gives you that we've moved on in time and uh, technology as oh, well. Oh, of course, yeah. The heart would be much smaller now. <laughs> uh, it just I guess, yes. you, you you can't just get a replacement heart. <laughs> it's as simple as that. No, it's, it's not as easy as that. But it's so, something yeah. like that. Like the heels up is like huge. Yeah. You wouldn't it's get that. It's, it's Murphy's first day on a precinct, and I I've always we sort of debated this offline another time, but. I do think they are deliberately putting their top cops in particularly dangerous areas because he's transferred in from a precinct that's not that bad. And it is kind of an almost welcome to hell kind of mm. welcome for him. He's coming from like Metro South and it's immediately one of their guys has died and it's, uh, you know, we want you all to attend the funeral. And it is like, what are you doing here? And I think it is really they're transferring their omni consumer products, as we're about to find mm-hmm. out, are looking at different options for how they can automate automate the police, bring in, you know, police that don't sleep, don't eat, and are difficult mm-hmm. to take down. Therefore, robocops effectively. Because yeah. uh, the talk of strikes uh, sort of off from from the get go, isn't there? Well, obviously... that's the problem when you yeah. have people, isn't it? They might take these things quite badly. Yeah, so 
So that's an, our introduction to Murphy. We do yeah. see it did make me laugh. I say we we go into like the locker room and like women are changing with the men and things mm. like that. So hence a quick tit shot and things like that. Not particularly you know gratuitously handled, but gratuitous in intention. Just because it is like look how adult this is. Yeah, there's something obviously that he carried on with Starship Troopers as well. He had like you know the. The male and female, like, like, sort of getting undressed together, you know, in the shower room and things like that. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly the same principle in that film. Um, so yeah, this guy died, Fred Fredrickson, or whatever yeah. he's called. Um, and we see what a tough precinct it is because there's a fight going on, you know, assaulting, and you know, lawyers are there trying to get people off who have attempted murder. Yeah. Like, it didn't actually kill him. Make bail. I'll pay you some money. So it's like rife with corruption. We see Lewis immediately breaking up a fight, so he's got quite a tough partner about to come his way. Um, that's really all the major information, apart from we do see the desk sergeant, and he's no nonsense. He's not up for being bribed and stuff. But he is. We're here to work. We're not striking. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's your stereotypical like police sergeant, isn't he? Um... He's every police sergeant you've ever seen who hasn't been corrupt in a film like yeah. this. Right back through the seventies and sixties as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, so in that scene we get to uh, uh, the uh, is it o- OC- OCP? OCP and um, yeah, we've got instruction of Ed two hundred nine. So we so we we see uh, is it Ed Morton? Ed we, Morton. Yeah, we see Ed Morton and, and uh, his uh, teammates. Yes. Um, in in the lift and sort of like talking about you know like you'll. Dick Jones, and he's he's a bit derogative about about Dick Jones, like saying, "Oh, well, you know, he's the old man." Yeah, he's the old man's yeah, ass, talk, yeah. Talk about the, the old man, and yeah. um, he's always referred to as the old man, isn't he? Yes. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he didn't kind of hear his name. You know, he's not referred to by as Mister So and So. That adds to it. That that firstly makes him a sort of venerated older figure that they want mm. to impress, but it's mm. also the fact that the old man makes him sound more like a figurehead. It yeah. makes it sound like that's how Dick Jones is able to sort of do whatever he wants because he's running it day to day. Yeah, he's effectively mm. running the show. Mm. Absolutely. Now, obviously, this scene shows its age, but it's a wonderful piece of stop motion. Of course, when they did everything optically, they had to do multiple passes with the film to combine elements and it mm. would degrade. So, mm. you know, immediately when you're seeing like a stop motion element, because the whole film is like softer and a bit fuzzier. Mm. Um, it, it looks great though. It looks very charming. It's like if you look back on the old um, Ray Harryhausen films. Yeah. I mean, it's still also very dated, but you know, hugely um, technically yeah. advanced for the time. Um, and it's, it just it looks very charming now. I think the whole point is he is Dick Jones has been running this project to produce this Ed Two Hundred Nine automated. How would we describe Ed Two Hundred Nine to anyone who hasn't seen He's this? Basically, film? a walking tank. It, yeah, a tank with legs. I will say, giant mechanized tank. You know, I mean, you look at it and think, I don't see that as something that's practical. I mean, I mean, it's basically got four limbs, hasn't it? Yeah. But it is a big tank. But it's a it's a big military type thing. It's something that you'd you'd you put in a war zone. Like you 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 know you'd have that in a. It would be on street corners, just blowing things up. Yeah. Or yeah. So in a city battle or whatever. So you think, rather than actually be policing, this is like, I'm not sure how capable is this is. This, this is, is like, riot control, isn't it? It is, basically. It's like, you have 20 seconds to comply, you have 15 seconds to comply. Yeah, so basically, the Ed 209 obviously has a bunch of sort of um, 
pre-programmed commands that respond in certain scenarios. So the boardroom is there, and what they do is they get one guy to like point a gun at it. And then it's basically you are in violation of whatever he says, yeah. and you now have 20 seconds to, to comply. Put your gun down, comply. Yeah. I, you better do what he says. He drops the gun, and it's you've now got 15 seconds to comply. And basically, whatever this got, this machine is supposed to respond to and down power, it doesn't. Yeah. Uh... And basically, <laughs> blows the shit out of this guy. <laughs> Quite literally. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite striking. You just see all the squibs just like sort of just just burst out of every orifice of him. It's just <laughs> yeah, he is well and truly dead. And the uncut version it goes on for end. a long time. He's landed yeah. on the table. It's still shooting at him. Yeah, and there's people there like pulling wires out, and you think, Fuck. yeah, they're trying to stop it. You know, typical almost lab technicians types. You know, the yeah. people with the sort of clipboards going shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, you're right, you mentioned it in the opening bit where you said the old man is like, I'm very disappointed, Dick. <laughs> well, apparently there's, 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 there's an offshoot line where someone says, call a paramedic, and then like, we've just got like an awkward laugh from, from, yeah. like, from, from, from like a test audience. And you yeah. do think, well, what the fuck's a paramedic going to do now? <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, general viewers watching this, Dan O'Hurley, or Lurley, I don't even know how you pronounce it, but it's an Irish name. Hurley, that's probably right, yeah. Maybe. Um, probably... Mm. He won a he won a Best Actor um, Academy Award for uh, the Adventures of Robinson Crusoe in the fifties, but he was also in Twin Peaks, which I saw very little of. But that would have been a, just after this, so yeah, he's quite well known for his role in Twin Peaks. He's got this beautiful like voice. Mm. He's Irish originally, isn't he? From yeah, Wrexham or somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, but it's a really nice, um, really um, speaking voice. Mm. Is that the guy who got shot? Uh, no, that's the old man. Oh yes, of course, yes, yes. Because uh, uh, there's another guy in this who's from uh, Twin Peaks as well. Is but there? Wait. I don't know. I, I I saw some of it at the time, but yeah, I did, didn't watch a lot of it. Halloween Three: Season of the Witch he was in as well. Looking oh yeah. His filmography. It's there's not an awful lot else I've actually seen him in. Yeah, looking looking through that list, there's not much. He was in the Last Starfighter. And uh, what I just love is the fact that. Bob Morton, Miguel Ferrer's character, just leaps right in mm. to sort of this is just an, a parody of the ambitious young exec, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, they, this is like ballroom politics, is like launched straight in and just like ignore what the fuck just gone on. Like someone's just got shot shit. Like. <laughs> yeah, I mean the corpse is still in the room. The corpse yeah. is about like ten feet away it's, from it. It's not. It's barely cold. Like. <laughs> yeah. And and he's like literally sort of seizes opportunity. And it's like, well, you know, it's like, oh, well, oh, well, you know, have, have your presentation prepared in 20 minutes. It's like, okay. Which you'll have ready because he's been working on it. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Which makes me wonder how much of this is implied. So did he sabotage Ed 209 in any way? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't get that. I think it's more likely to be... Uh, Dick Jones's lack of attention to care because, like he says later, he doesn't really care if it works. Yeah, he used to talk about sort of yeah, like it's just a thought. He's got a presentation ready to go. I think yeah, I I I, I mean, look, I don't know, but I I I wouldn't have thought so. I think it was just more opportunistic, like the, okay. the idea of like basically these basically suits in boardrooms, like sort of fumbling around with these big ideas, sort of like yeah. messing with stuff that you actually know fuck all about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 
it's that this kind of thing. high-end tech and they're a bunch of execs. Yeah. And we see that again next week. Like I say, I've watched some of Robocop 2 and, you know, the, the completely fucked up attempts to sort of recreate the Robocop program we'll talk about next week. Uh, but some of that's really comedic in a kind of nihilistic yeah. way. Um, but for all we've just been talking, this film is really tight because it's immediately we've got this other program to go. We just need a candidate, basically, and it cuts straight back to Murphy. Yeah. And they take a call immediately to some crime scene. Yeah, so you see him, he's there outside with... Um... Uh, Lewis. Lewis. And he, he, he's, 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 he's flipping uh, the, gu- the gun because like, his son watches like, the show. Spin TJ. a gun away. It's the cowboy thing. Is it meant to be like TJ Hooker or something? Yeah. Like, TJ Laser. It's, it's, it's the cowboy thing. TJ about... Hooker, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. A base, yeah the base, it is based on TJ Hooker, obviously, which again is a little bit of satire. But it's the idea of like in the Old West spinning the gun around and sticking it in mm. your holster. Yeah, but it very much does, does remind you of those old kind of Western kind of tropes. Um, mm. And there's obviously TJ Hooker, you've got another Star Trek reference there as well. One of my fun facts combines all these Trek okay. and Batman. And, and the general um, lawlessness of the area is very old west as well, mm. just obviously yeah. higher tech. Very much like this old the, yeah. the sheriff, isn't he, kind of hired to sort it all out. Yeah, so he, they've got to go, they've got to they get after a gang, basically, mm. that have just pulled some stunt, and it's Carrot's Bodinger's gang. I always struggle with the name of most of his team. I always remember Emil, for obvious reasons. I mean, I've got the names in front of me here, but obviously he's got his his gang with him. They've just committed an armed robbery. Starts with a little bit of like <laughs> they've burnt the money. That's yeah. quite funny. <laughs> you burnt the fucking money. Wait, well, it's always like sort of like the, the multiracial gang. I mean, obviously, like you got a collection of white dudes who get killed off first. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? So you got like sort of. You have like uh, the the Hispanic dude. You got like the the, the guy in a leather jacket. Asian you got dude. a black dude. You got yeah. You got the, the Asian dude. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it's almost like different themes, but anyway. Uh, yeah. So yeah, they and get what I remember a... thinking is is Paul Verhoeven's not really an action director, at, not at this stage of his career, and actually this is all pretty shot pretty well as a little car chase. Yeah. Yeah, he's sort of uh, he's like. He's driving and he's like sort of showing a bit of nuance by coming up at them from the side, surprising them. Um, uh, but they they throw the body on the roof, on the roof of the car. Um, yeah, yeah, one of them's got shot in the legs. Yeah. Can you fly? Yeah. But they end up following them to like a disused mill yeah. or something, which is very much in the iconography of this film. Just mm. disused, run-down areas. Um, Lewis catches up on one of them having a piss, basically. And he, and he's basically distracted by his penis. Yeah, <laughs> there's a close up on her face, and it's like, I was willing her. I was like, don't look down there, don't she look down there, and she does, I, and they. Oh. <laughs> I, I I need to get the quote wrong because I always slip into like um. Do you mind if I blaze, zip up? Blaze, but yeah, mind if I whip this out? Whip that's, this out. <laughs> um, that's um blazing sandals. Have, I think I think we have to do Mel Brooks some point on the show. Sure, we'll, I'd love to cover his films. Okay, I, I think Mel Brooks is best is amazing, but he did an awful lot of films that aren't. Mm, we can maybe do pick and choose. I would Dracula, do. dead and loving it. Was that him? Yeah. Well, I didn't know that was a Mel Brooks film. I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, a bit cringy. That but... and uh, Robin Hood uh, Men in Tights. That was a that was yes, a another great one. And High Anxiety got, too. Got an admission. I've seen Robin Hood Men in Tights. <gasps> oh my god, it's so funny! Okay. You got to check it out. 
All right. Um, I know it's based on the iconography of the Douglas Fairbanks. One. It's yeah. it's really dumb, but it's. But Carrie Young's right. in it, and he's absolutely hilarious. He's, yeah. yeah, sends up the kind of like Douglas Fairbanks kind of role. Okay. And her being like a pretty boy. So. so basically, they they yeah Murphy goes in and sort of cap cap thinks he's captured the gang. They're all sat in mm. there. Uh, and he shoots he's, one. He shoots, he shoots like, one. And then yeah, captures one of them. Yeah, and then Bodiger ends up being right behind him. And uh, Lewis is sort of knocked out by the other guy, yeah. not by his penis, by you know. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, yeah. And to cut a very long story short, here we get a little bit of monologuing from him. You know, buddy, I think you're slime and all that sort of thing. But by and large, he's just shot to pieces here, isn't he? That's the whole point of this scene. They, yeah, shot to pieces. It, it, it is quite painful because it's just like Bodiger is basically sort of playing with playing with his food almost. It's like he's, he's got him, and he's just exactly like... what it is. Even before he blows his hand off, he's like, nee, 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 nee. yeah, yeah. But yeah, his hand's blown off, and then he's just absolutely shot to pieces, finished by a bullet to the head. Yeah. And by the time it finishes, Lewis has recovered and sort of is watching it through like a little gapway. Mm-hmm. They get away, and obviously, it's immediately straight to him, sort of being helicoptered into hospital. And the funny thing is, the bit the bit I found, I'm, I can't remember if the hand being blown off was in the version I saw first. I think it might have been. I'm not, I, I wouldn't even be surprised if we only had the uncut version over here because we're a little bit more liberal on that stuff than the United States, and we were or we were in this era. I know we got a harder cut of Die Hard and things like that than than you got in that country. Um, um, I'm not entirely sure because obviously the first version I saw was cut to shit. Anyway. I've got a feeling I saw his hand shot off the first time. The bit that actually I found hardest to watch was him on the table. Because you saw his eyes all vacant, mm. and then the camera kept going up and down his torso, which is mm. shot to shit as they're trying to revive him or save him, basically. Um, and obviously, that's a that's a very visceral sort of two minute scene, which ends in them having to call it, and he's dead. And you see it from his perspective. Mm. Um, and then the next thing you see, we just go through the montage of him being turned into Robocop, basically, yeah. from his perspective. Uh, yeah, and we get, and we get sort of like sort of seeing that scientists play play for him is like you know, oh, uh, should we keep the arm? No, lose the arm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you see him sort of Morton shaking hands with yeah. like the prosthetic that's going to go on, and it's like all the robotics, and it's like four hundred foot pounds that will yeah. crush every bone in your hand, and it's like we're going to wipe his memory anyway, and it's like I think they say then can we do that? And it's like he signed the release forms. Yeah, he's our pro- he's our property. Which is coming yeah. back to that sort he's, of thing. Yeah, he's talking. clinically Start. dead. Yes. Yeah. He signed the release forms. We can do what the hell we like with him. Which well, we don't didn't get really sort of discussed. But why 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 use a corpse though? What's the what's the purpose of using? What what's the idea? Consent. He doesn't have to give consent, does he? Then. No, but that, what, I, why, I found why, that really why, problematic. I was what, like, oh. why why is he not completely human then? Like, so why is he not just completely robot? Are you saying why don't they use a robot, or why don't they use someone who's been paralysed? Well, I don't know. I mean, I was just trying to think of like the what does the film never addresses? Yeah, why? Why? What? What? What's the thing with using uh, what somebody that used to be a person, and, and to just having someone that's purely a robot? I think the clue is in the fact that they. Uh, well, firstly, they tried a robot with Ed two oh nine. So I think they want the base personality of a person, and it's answered by the fact they're sending their best cops to hell holes. Yeah. They they want they want 
the best they have to offer. They don't want that guy's memories. They don't want that guy's emotions. They don't. They want that guy's base abilities and sense of right and wrong. So they wouldn't want a bent cop. We we address that in the second one with, with okay. when they do, when they do try to use we'll a criminal. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You, you, if you use a bad guy, all you do is amplify the bad. Same principle as. Sounds, we'll see it's next a, week, but <laughs> it's a, it's a silly link. But the only link I can think of, it's the same principle as the red skull. Mm. You give him the serum, and that amplifies the bad. You give Steve the serum, and you make a good man better. I yes. think that's that's the same. I think that's what that is. I mean, you're right in some yeah. respects because if you haven't got his memories, what is he basing yeah. his actions on? I, I dare say, doctorate papers have been written on this. Yeah, um, I mean, to, to be fair, this is like the one thing that the remakers did actually address. It they even come down to the idea of the fact that all oh, the public responds better to when when they can actually see a guy in there, even though it's even though it's basically so so that sort of thing is addressed almost. Um, but there, that's almost more a sort of that's, that makes it more of almost a marketing decision. Whereas yes. It's, it's yeah. not here. I think it's logistics. We've yeah. started off with a robotic option that it didn't work. Yeah. And it's arse about face because the second one's written later. But again, the second one, they went a different way and that didn't work either. Retrofitting that you need the be- you need someone relatively pure in motive. Okay. And experienced and everything else, which makes you wonder what wiping the memory would do. Yeah. But then we don't know how surgical the removal of memory is. In the A, it doesn't work that well in this film. But also, are you rem- if when you remove when somebody's an amnesiac in life, they still tend to know how to walk, talk, and do everything else. And any skills they have, I dare say, like an amnesiac who was a really good pianist mm. could still do it. Yeah, and I think it's the same principle. His base abilities remain, and that would include all the training he went through. Yes, but yeah, yeah, yeah. His skill—you keep his skills, his his, his reflexes, and uh, but you, you you take away his memories. Anything that could cause dissent. Yes, that's what that's okay. what. Okay, okay, I get you now. Um, I guess. But yeah, bad, bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So we get we. We get all that. We get it's, it's New Year when we get like the unveiling where he's like off there walk, walking, walking in front. And it's all done from his perspective as well. Also, yeah, it is. The, them putting the the LED grid over his eyes yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah, the targeting, the recording, everything. Mm. He's even covered in like plastic at one point. He's under like yeah. a tar- a sheet. So, all of that, and then the first reveal of is him walking through the precinct, isn't it? Mm. Uh, you, you kind of yes, you can see a little bit. You've got the the gun range and the other uh, You can see this like massive just gun, just like blasting, blasting the target, like the the paper target. Away. I don't know if that's deliberately a bit dirty, Harry, in iconography, just having a ludicrously big gun. I think it is meant to be a little bit, isn't it? I I, I think it, I think it was almost uh, when they were talking talking about what gun they should use or what what makeup. What gun was like? It had something that matches him. So obviously, with someone like in a big suit, in a big suit, yeah, really you're gonna big, need really a powerful, bigger gun to kind of. You can't really give him a Beretta, can you? You can't give him just like a Wolf of PPK. Can you? Ladies' gun. <laughs> I'm not in a lady's handbag. Then, then you see him put it in his handbag and head out <laughs> of the precinct. Also, I'm not saying it's a lady's gun. It's a quote from the film. It's a quote um, from the film. Absolutely. 
As we, don't think, on we, we don't think you're sexist against women, Becca. <laughs> but <laughs> being one myself. Yes. I don't yeah. imagine embroidering curtains, would that suffice? Yeah. Um, the other thing, the other thing I love is the desk sergeant complains because it's like well, it's my precinct, and it's like you know. Yeah, it's like you, he's basically tells to fuck off, basically. Yeah. Bob <laughs> Morton is is very much an anti-hero in this film. We don't want what happens to him to happen. But his behaviour full stop through the film is just not good. No, I mean, he it's seems to be le- like... He's less bad than Dick Jones, that's all. Yeah. But I mean, his, his character has changed, wasn't he? He was kind of like a thoroughly unpleasant individual, but then he sort of, they turned him down to become more amiable, I guess. Quite and, aside yeah. from the fact... Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, but also, quite aside from the fact that cops are dying, no wonder they'd want to strike on the basis that you know, a guy who's basically an executive, they've only just got the police contract. They've got the police contract in ter- in return for something to do with this new Delta City being built, which is going to ghettoize the city even further because they're only going to redevelop parts of Detroit. B- bits of it are going to be left to rot. But, you know, it's a bit like it's a bit like a politician walking in and telling like a doctor how to do an operation. It, it, it's it's a total disregard for the professional skills that's in that precinct. Yeah. I have concerns. Fuck you. We own you. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, even from a basic level, he needs to know what the fuck's happening. Like it's his like, precinct. He would do the staffing as much as anything else. It's like what what what, what is this thing? What do I need? To, you know. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. And it's, so give, give, give him his car. That's it. Yeah. Uh, there also is like a mention of like, oh, what, what they bring in, bringing these things into a place, into places. That got me thinking, like, well, probably that that, that probably would be the. And wouldn't that be a fucking insult? Oh, oh yeah, we'll just like reuse your your dead cops to 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 replace. It's the place. precinct he died in. You think they yeah. put him in a different one? Well, true. You think about it as a concept, it is a bit of a fucking insult and kind of fucked up, really. It's like you're using. Yeah. Cops who died on the beat to and reanimate them in a, in a as a robot to police the streets again to to replace the cops. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, although of course they don't know it's Murphy at this point. Yeah, the top half of his face is covered by the sort of helmet, the mask. Uh, his memory's been wiped. He doesn't even know he's Murphy at this point himself. Yeah. The giveaway is actually all in the seeding around the TJ laser, the swinging of the gun. Yeah, because uh, he does that. Lois spots that. That's the first thing that sort of that goes. Oh, hang on, that's yeah. Um, so all very, all very, very nicely scripted and very tight. We're not that far into the film at this point, and of course we get the sort of Superman's first flight scene now. You know yeah. what I mean? First night out on the beat. Yeah. And this I... is all. This is all pretty cool. Just a bunch of little vignettes to tell tell us what he's doing and what the city's like as well. Yeah. I mean, the rape scene is horrible. I mean, you don't see anything graphic. But well, it's a tempting one, isn't it? It's like yeah, that's, that's another moment which I had to look away. Yeah, I mean, I can sort of understand that. You don't see very much. But I think also in this era, and certainly through the 90s, villains in these types of films would always find everything hysterical. It's yeah. just a funny tick that's not there as much these days. No, they just sort of laugh at everything like like jackals, basically. Yeah, like hyenas they, even. They, but it's just this horrible, disused part of the city, not watched, not properly planned. I mean, when you plan a city now, you plan it to have as few hidden areas as possible mm. for mm. things like graffiti and crime. Everything's out in the open. 
Yeah, which is why you only get sort of graffiti and underpasses and, and areas people never go. And do you notice this, the shot as well? Like, you know what, when um, when, he sa- when he saves the girl? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a really cleverly placed shot. <laughs> because you, it, it you see... It, it, skirt, it, but... it, 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 it's up a shot and you see, like, the banner in full at the top. Mm. Like, what, so, sorry? Because, like, you know when, when he saves the girl and she's like, oh, thank you, and, she, and, and he's very much like, as a, a, in a robot mind... You've been you've been in a, a traumatic incident. I will notify the rape centre. Rape crisis centre. Um, but it's shot up. You actually sort of see like the full um, banner of the of the future city. You know, that's sort of... right. Yes, oh, yeah, I did, yeah, city I of the future, the silver lining. So yeah, th- this will go away, but it probably won't go away for people like you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's kind of there's a hint of irony there, isn't it? I think. It is. It is the uh, looking after the haves, not the have have nots. That's the social commentary of this film really yeah um the other thing i noticed with the shot is just the positioning of where it is without being too graphic the shape and positioning of male genitalia he's not shot him in the balls he shot his dick off basically yeah it's a really well placed shot uh then he goes and and i can't remember it's some office isn't it next where some guy's holding people Hostage. I think yeah, he's either just been he, fired he, or he's, a, he's actually been. He's actually like um. He he he's said it because he cause he's he's basically sort. Of, I want a recount. So I think he basically he was running for mayor. He's but, an elected but, official who's lost. Yeah, and so he was like, she just just got absolutely fucking mad. So he was like that. I want a recount, and and no matter how, what the result, I want my old job back. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, it's just like you know, the guy is just like completely lost it because he's on on about like, oh, I want I want a car that does really shitty mileage or whatever. And... Really shitty gas mileage. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what? And, 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 In other and, words, get me something fast and fucking impressive. That's all I care yeah. about. That's really cool. He gets it through a warm. As I say, when he pushes him out the window to save everyone, he's about to kill one of the hostages. Yeah, I think the when he well. pushes him out the window, the camera scans him right down to being landed. Yeah. I mean, I mean the in-film camera, the news crews, not the film camera. Yeah. Which is again the voyeurism of this world and not understanding the difference between real life and entertainment, or using real life as mm-hmm. entertainment in the most hideous way. Yeah, you sort of you know, say so you see the legs just sort of like kick up as it's like as you can imagine the body lands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that yeah, so that apart from um, uh, a, ro- a robbery, which. It's just sta- it's just standard. Like you know, he ends up like causing more damage than anything else. But the, the guy's dialogue, and there's nothing subtle about that. But his dialogue is "fuck me" repeatedly. And that and that was ablived as well. So they just went like, "Yeah, okay, great, perfect." Well, what else would you say? Yeah. <laughs> you, you just go, "Oh shit." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this is all. This is several months on as well. It did take them several months. You go through Christmas and New Year and all the rest of it. So, the whole building of the RoboCop thing took some time. Mm-hmm. The other thing we've we've missed out on tell, saying is that this is a much simplified uh, being in that he basically eats baby food and when he's off duty, he sits in a chair mm-hmm. and he's monitored on screens and through being hooked mm-hmm. up to what looks a bit like a lie detector test, but it's just there to check bodily vital signs, impulses. emotions, and things yeah. like that. That sort of thing, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we we get more, you know, uh, news. Uh, for I say, you know, go, go straight to that. We get uh, to see. Is this lot... the strike bit? I've no, I've written my notes as 
dick in the toilet. Um, it was just like the scene with like well, the news article will have will have been about them going on strike, and you've got different members yeah. of the public. Just in, like in real life now, you get people who don't see the, their point, people who do see their point, and you hear both of those. They're not supposed to strike, and then you get somebody else who's like, ah, it should do what they want. Yeah, he, this is that you got, you got the um, you got the guy saying the cops are not supposed to strike, and you got like the crazy unemployed guy who's like, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> crazy Which world. Makes you immediately think, what is the perspective of this film? Yeah, because the the person who shows sympathy is fucking wacko. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the film like can, can continually throws you little curveballs like that. A bit like with Bob Morton. Bob Morton's an asshole, but you're meant to be more on his side than Dick's. Largely yeah. because he created Robocop, who's the hero of the film. And he's and he's less of a dick than... Yeah, I mean, you, you could argue his intentions are more of... The, you know, he's just a bellend about it. Because he's yeah. literally making a product that works. Yeah. That does it, you know. <clears throat> that, that... That... <laughs> yeah, no, he is. And he's really rubbing it in. Because the next thing you do see is, yeah, the dick in the toilet. You have... Um... <laughs> But it reminded me of The Simpsons when when Homer got like a, a access to the executive washroom <laughs> because it's like that he's got access to the executive toilet. Yeah, he's got the key card. For it. He's just been effectively promoted off the back of this, he, he, which is why he's so clumsy in there because he don't know who he doesn't know who's in there or when they tend to go in or whatever. No, what's going on? Yeah, so there, he's in there like calling Dick an like, asshole and stuff like yeah. that. And you, like, sort of, one of the you, you see, like, yeah. And like the other guy, sort of literally just like goes in, like goes in pissing his pants. Like, oh yeah, no. the guy he's shown zipping up to walk out, and he's still <laughs> mid flow. He's like, yeah, it's like get out of here, oh, and he's oh. left there. Morton tries to style it out though, doesn't he? Yeah, he goes like, okay, well, this is awkward, but okay. <laughs> uh, and, like, and he gives him like the the uh, the warning, really, like yeah. don't fuck with me. Yeah. So I think we cut to a little bit later now. Uh, we've got Robocop in the chair and he's starting to see things. And it is coming up on the screen. Yeah. He's having, most of his memories are of being shot, aren't they? Yeah. Most of, you know, Clarence shooting at him and things like yeah. that. So he's remembering something. Um, and before they, they take a long time to spot it, because they're just chatting, those mm. who are like monitoring it. Like any time you're on some sort of night shift or security shift, you, yeah, you're supposed to be watching the screens, but you can't literally look at a screen 60 seconds in every minute. Yeah. So they take a little while to figure it out. By the time they figure it out, he's on the move. Um, uh, and yeah, he runs into uh, Lois. You, he takes the opportunity to sort of think, hang on, I, th- I think this is Murphy. And so she says, so yeah. she goes, do you, and he kind she of calls he, him Murphy, and he just yeah. sort of he almost like takes note of it and just walk carries on walking. Yeah, and then she gets a bit reprimanded for that. Yeah. Uh, um, and then I think we cut to a meal at the gas station. Yes, because he's kind of like um, yes, because he, he goes on he basically just goes on a big hunt, doesn't he? Uh, and he's doing what what he's doing at the gas station sort of threatening the, the clerk and uh, really bookish type who's reading a book on like physics or something yeah he's obviously like working there part-time with like study yeah yeah um and he's like just enjoying threatening him really talking about shooting him and all that sort of mm. thing and robocop turns up to sort of stop it what is it that gives this away that emil says 
Oh, it's Dead or Alive yeah. Coming With Me, isn't it? Dead or Alive yeah. Coming With Me. That's a Which sort of his line. Murphy said that to him in the in the warehouse at the start of the yeah. film. Mm-hmm. So he's like, we killed you. And of he's course, like, we killed you. And he it's, been established, it's been established Robocop's recording at all times. Yeah. So he's, he stores at that. He's like thinking, what do you mean? We, you know, we killed yeah. you. And he sort of had to play that. So, yeah, have a bit. Of, he, he shoots him, uh, tries to drive off. But, you know, he ends up, like, sort of shooting him out and, and captures him, basically. And where, where do we go? He, he, does, he doesn't eat, sort of, he, 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 because of that, he kind of, like... He goes back into records now. Yeah. Um, and, again, it's this is film is... I wouldn't say... It's not quite back to the future in terms of everything being set up mm. and pay off. But there's a lot of that. And the spike is paid is set up here, which you don't realise till late in the film. But he's basically got a spike that comes out of his fist, yeah. Wolverine-style... And it's a data reader, so he basically walks into records, punches that into, a, punches his hand into a computer terminal, mm. and basically calls up a match on a meal, and all known associates. Yeah. So you and it some... actually, and it brings up who they're yeah. responsible for killing, and it brings up an image of Murphy, which is a name that's just been given to him. So he yeah. realizes that's him, and it also gives him last known address for Murphy. Most be might be the most affecting scene of the film yeah. with a wonderful bit of scoring by Basil Polidarius. If you want to look it up, folks, go to wherever you get music from and look up the track that's called Home or Going Home or something like that. Beautiful, evocative. Mind you, the scene itself is on YouTube. So if you just type in Robocop Home, you'll probably mm-hmm. find the actual scene. It goes back to the house, which is, it isn't 120 Sycamore, but for argument's sake, that's the address. He goes to that finds the street, walks into the house, which is basically being sold by like automated mm. screens with estate agents. Welcome to your new home and all that sort of thing. And he's wandering around it, having flashbacks of his life there with this wonderful evocative music. It's the most and, effective scene in the film. And um, it's just like the only real time you see his family. Yeah, they're not... That's one thing about the remake. They establish the family, don't they, first? Now that's that's usually like a, a standard thing. Usually, you have a scene with the family, or you, know, you have a bit of a, a, a group. But here, like you know, we, playing we just, baseball with the just, we, it's just Murphy. When we get told what we need to know, it's like, well, you know, yeah, we and, see a lot of them through um, flashbacks, don't we? Pretty much. And I, I, I think it's actually a lot more effective for here. We don't really need to have like the the wife as another character. But here it's more effective because it, it does play more yeah. as memory. I think, if I can't know if, if I'm remembering correctly, it's Abby Cornish in the remake and they make yeah. her a more, much more major character. Yeah. I've only seen that film once. I saw it in the cinema and I haven't seen it since. And I didn't hate it. No, on review, I might hate it. It's yeah. nowhere near this quality. And it's barely good, but it's serviceable, as I recall. And when we come to talk about that film, I'll be talking much more about the state of MGM around the turn of the decade which is another thing that will have a Bond link. Yeah. Uh, but that film is a response to what that studio needed to do at that stage, and it didn't really work. But Abby Cornish is a major character in that film because they, they you know, they try to ca- carry on a life somehow. It's yeah. a very different film. This film is a lot colder in that regard. But it works a bit better because it, it comes across as a memory. And it's like, and you, and you were kind of like going through and that an sort of, and an incomplete memory. Yeah, we don't even know what she's called, do we? 
you, you so. never you never get that she's like Jeanette Murphy, do you? No, awesome. I don't I think know. you do. I don't think you do. And that works better because he doesn't know. We know as much yeah. as we know. He, he he's pretty. You know, he's like finding sort of bits like you know obviously like there's some things left behind. Some you know something. Broken, there's a broken cup there. Yeah. And things like that. Um, I mean, the thing that occurs to me is you have to set up. So, the only bit of family chat we get is the TJ Laser thing, the spin mm. of the gun. But you've got to explain why he does that, because otherwise he'd be a dickhead. If he was a cop that just went on mm. duty and every time he shot someone, he went, <laughs> spun the gun. And, you yeah. Know. No, but it, 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 it's quite simple. It's like, hell, hey, Dad, could you do that? Yeah, but that that was the only bit that was set up before yeah. the flashback. We knew he did it to impress his son. That's the only yeah. bit. And, uh, yeah, so you have sort of like, sort of shots of the, of the family and things like that. Yeah, it's quite... It, 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 it and is, his wife is, walking up to him in a robe in the bedroom. Yeah. Nothing, nothing sexual, but loving and family. Yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful scene. What did you guys make of it? Well, I think Chris, you've said. Did you? Did, yeah. What did you make of the scene, Becca? Yeah, no, I, I would agree. All of the above, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah, I think I'm on the same page as you guys. So beautiful piece of music as well. Yeah, I, the score. I just calling back to sort of Conan as well. Um, I think he's, he's very much, Paul Joyce is very much um, a composer, like all, all of his own. Um, he sort of instantly, his music is, is really, I don't know if you can call it iconic. Um, you know, it's one of those kind of scores that you know is instantly recognisable. It's mm. from that film, it's from that film. I think it's one of Charlie's favourite. I know it's one of Charlie's favourite scores. Yeah, I was, I was kind of, I was, mm. I was sort of chomping at the bit, thinking, oh yeah, Charlie's going to come on. Oh, not yet. I have to hold myself back. Because yeah, I, I, just... I know it's one of his favourites that he loves to kind of wax. Just for any, about... Yeah, just for anyone not familiar, I'm not going to name his entire filmography because there's a, like with all composers, there's a mix of good and bad because they just go, turn up and do projects. But he did both Conan films or both the Arnie Conan films. Uh, he did Iron Eagle. He did Flesh and Blood, which is um, Verhoeven's first English language film. He did The Hunt for Red October. Uh, he did Quickly Down Under, which Chris mentioned during the uh, Mission Impossible 2 commentary. <laughs> Uh, he did uh, White Fang, which is a really cool film. Um, he did uh, what else did he do? Just went through it and just he did Starship Troopers. Um, uh, he, yeah, that that that's the sort of major things. There's obviously a lot more on there than that, but it's probably his Conan score he's best known for. But he didn't he did he didn't do uh, looking at it. It looks like he did part three of this series, but he didn't do part two. But that could have been a clash with the hunt for Red October looking at it. So, yeah, so we've, we've got everything we need to know now. He knows who the gang is. He knows yeah. who he is. Um, we know um, Bob Morton is in serious trouble. Mm. He's, he's starting to get more emotion as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, didn't he go straight to... Uh... We cut to Bob Morton, and this is what I mean about almost like a hand, an anti-hero yeah. um, angle in that Bob Morton is with two, I don't know if they're hookers or just Models girlfriends or... but two he... relatively disposable people a couple of girls. yeah he's snorting cocaine off one of their tits sort of thing yeah, st- standard Wall Street kind of stuff really isn't it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. it's getting a little bit like that isn't it yeah and yeah and uh, basically uh... doorbell goes and it's Clarence Bodiger lo and behold mm. And, and I love his like, like he just comes out and says like bitches leave. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say get out or like or, 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 or say <laughs> or, or or say or say you bitches get out of here. He's literally bitches, bitches leave. leave. 
Yeah. Absolutely outstanding. And of course, uh, what we didn't know before this Call me. I mean, the clue is obviously Morton has pissed off Dick Jones. So this guy turning up to hurt him, you would immediately think he's linked to Dick Jones. But we did not know that link before this scene. Yeah. Um, and he's already Morton's already been said to him. We've got all these contracts in place for Delta City. So, um, and who cares if it works? So we already know Dick's attitude. But yeah, basically, um, he, he shoots him several times and s- mm. sets off a grenade. Yeah. So that's Bob Morton dead. The scene's quite effective because Bob Morton is desperately trying to save his own life mm. and desperately trying to stop him shooting him more and then tries to stop the grenade. But that's it. And then I think the next scene we see is that, like, is it a cocaine factory or what? Yeah, uh, well, we get the other guy gets arrested in the club, doesn't he? By yes. Yes. Uh, and then... Uh... And then, uh, then we have like the the cocaine factor, yeah. Robocop walks in, basically. Yeah, he's like, do the deal. He's like, guns, 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 guns. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and he walks in, just sort of, you have your your big massive shootout. He doesn't kill Clarence here. He he uh, just he throws him through like glass plate windows and things like that. Um. And in desperation, he reveals he's connected to someone high up in OCP, and then gives him the name. Yeah. uh, Dick Jones's. Yeah. And that's it. So he can't... Um, yeah, and th- at some point that just sort of stops him. He, he just goes straight after... Um, he, ta- he, he, takes, straight... he takes him to the uh, the police station. Yeah, where he spits... He spits quite a lot in this film, this mm. guy. He spits blood right on the papers mm. to book him in. It's pretty gross. Uh, just give me, just give me a are, fucking phone call. Yeah, the officers... Again, every line he delivers deliciously. It's just brilliant. He's, yeah, he's great, oh, isn't he? Oh, he's, he's a really memorable character, definitely. But... None of the dialogue's that amazing. It's just so well delivered. He's just got that right scumbaggy look, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he orders him. He's a cop killer. Yeah. And that's <laughs> uh, that's it. And then Robocop goes straight to Dick Jones' office, and Dick Jones he looks really like he's just waiting. He knows it's coming. Yeah. Now, one thing we forgot to mention is at the start of the film, he's asked what his prime directives are, and I can't remember the three, but it's. Protect the innocent, uphold the law. There's three of them. There's something else. And then there's Directive 4. But we don't know there's a Directive 4 until this point. There's not... No. Uh, it doesn't say... I always remembered it as saying 4, classified. And it, it doesn't. When I watch the film again, that you do not know there's a Directive 4. Until he goes into basically... Uh, you know, he's saying, well... He, he shows him the footage of, it, of him saying, it's Dick Jones... And then he says, oh, these are very serious charges. And when he goes to arrest him, he starts, like, spasming. Yeah. Robocop starts spasming. And then he says, little insurance plan I put in. You cannot, is it, arrest a senior executive of OCP? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Which is, again, the attitude of this film. It's very, a senior member of OCP. He's literally protecting himself. He could, ex- you know, middle managers, he probably could. It's all about the haves and have-nots, this film. Yeah, and then, really he dividing says, line, isn't and then he said Z209 after him. And basically, you were saying that you said Z209 is, Z209 can't go downstairs. <laughs> it's like Daleks. <laughs> it's like the Daleks. It's exactly that. He can't go down the stairs, and that's how he gets well, away. Well, they can now, because they can it, fly. It, but... it's, it's definitely a ground floor weapon, really. So why the fuck would you have that in your building? <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it's a, a, a city that has so many high-rise, mm. high-rise buildings. 
Absolutely. So Dick has, we, you know, when you think about it, Dick's built a substandard product here. Yeah. A vicious one, but a substandard. So all of that sort of stuff occurs to but, you as you think about yeah, the film. Yeah, as, uh, as it turns out, though, that's, you know, it's not really his agenda, though, at the end of the day, is it? Um, he's his agenda is not law enforcement. No. He's, he's, he's more a lot more about, like, you know, mm. playing playing the game to to suit his yeah. needs. Yeah, and the whole Clarence Bodica link is, you know, to... You know, control parts of the city, and yeah. also just get him, get him, get in on things like prostitution and stuff like that. And and also like run certain areas to the ground so he can benefit from, basically. Yeah, yeah because you know it's it's the same principle as, uh, you know, it's almost mm. permanent war. It's, yeah. You know, it's almost that 1984 thing of if you make the citizens permanently frightened, you can control them. Mm. So yeah, there's there's just so much in this film. Uh, yeah, so uh, the the whole police force are all after Robocop now. So he takes a lot of damage, but he basically gets away. I just think physically this is really well acted. I'm assuming this is mainly Weller in the suit because there aren't any major yeah. stunts. But he is like falling off platforms and rolling under things and just barely getting away. And Lewis gets him away. Yeah, just managed to get there in time. Yeah, we do get a little bit of like, hey, well, hey, he's like one of us. Like he's a cop. We shouldn't be doing this uh, from from some police officers. But um, yeah, uh, but again, yeah. That, that's like any act of atrocity in this world. Mm. You know, I was only following orders is no defense. We see that with Nazi war crimes and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, all of those things you can miss, and the film still works. But all those layers are there to think about if you want to. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely. There. But there also is like you know there'll be something. Well, he's just a machine. He, you know, then probably get against the idea anyway. Of, but of, again, of, of back to that Star Trek. Yeah. What, what 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 constitutes a sentient life? Indeed. You know, we we have a sort of biochemical. We're biochemical mach- machinery. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah. So where do we go from there? Uh, so we go. Doesn't Back Dick to... seriously? Oh, yeah. Dick goes into. Doesn't Dick go in to see? Um, no, see it's, him? yeah. It's uh, Clarence goes in to see Dick. Sorry, that's what I meant. I meant yeah. that way round. Yeah, he goes in his face a little which, bit. Which uh, he, he flirts with the the uh, receptionist, which is creepily uh, as hell. Is actually his wife in real life. Is that is that Kurt with Smith's wife? Yeah. Oh, awesome! I didn't know that. Yeah, that's a fun fact. Yeah, fun fact. I'm gonna look that up now because uh, there must be a bit about Kurt with private life here somewhere, personal life. Married, uh, yeah, Joan Perkle. You agreed, yeah. Cool. Second marriage, they're still together. That's awesome. Aww. Cool. All right. Um, so yeah, yeah, he's basically saying, "You said my name, Dick." Uh, you know, and he yeah. says, well, "Look at my fo- not Dick, um, Clarence." And it's like, "Look at my fucking face." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I also like the contradiction terms that he's chastising uh, Clarence for like you. you you know, he's, he record he records, you know, you know, you have to watch what you say even though he, he he's just done it. He's done it himself. We don't really know that. We don't see well, we do know it if you stop to think about it. Yeah. Because you know he records everything, but at the same time, we saw the recording word on when he was recording a meal, so you might yeah. think, A, he's not recording everything. He might record when he chooses to record. And B, the film's moving along so quickly. For a film of this era, yeah. it wouldn't even occur. Well, I mean, to, and, he, he, he probably planned to actually have Robocop be killed by now anyway. Well, he was about to shut down, wasn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So, 
and then we get a we get a bit of conversation between the two, and it is like you know drugs, prostitution, and all those sorts yeah. of conversations. So we the link between them is properly explored in a very short scene. Mm. And I think Robocop is oh, and he he, he starts um he says I need I need you to kill him, and he says well we need military grade firepower, and he says we practically are the military. Yeah. Which which also got me thinking like you know surely like if if they were like if. If a, a company like um, like this owned the police, surely the first thing would like kick them out of all the new fancy, you know, weaponry and and protective gear. Surely. Yeah, but it's what's a life work. Yeah. Think of like Batman Begins, where you've got like that equipment they could have like put on soldiers, but it's three hundred grand a pop, and a soldier's life ain't worth that. Yeah, yeah, true, true. There's all those elements. Plus, also, yeah. it, well, obviously, it's like obviously run by Dick anyway, so he's like, he's not, he's. He's not going to do it, yeah. But actually, yeah, there are questions about Dick's competence through all of this. Mm. And actually, that's one thing Bob Morton had. He he actually did the job properly, more or less. Yeah. I mean, Robocop did have memory issues, but he is a prototype. So, yeah, all that's really cool. So I think we now cross-cut between them being armed and pissing around with these new sort of weapons and blowing each other's cars up. Um, at the same time, we see Emil watching that footage of that guy. I'd buy that for a yeah. dollar. We've not mentioned that, have we? I, that made me. Oh, think Bixby, it, whatever his name is. Remain, reminded me of um, Idiocracy. And so, when you look at a film, Idiocracy is a Luke Wilson film. I don't know if you guys are listening. Have, yeah, have ever made, heard of it. Well, made made by um, I forgot his, I forgot his name. Uh, Mike Judge, I think it is. He he did Beavs and Butthead. Um, right. But he also did a film called Office Space. Which I'd recommend. Office, oh, that. Office Space classic. is very well known, although I didn't see classic. it. For, I probably only saw that eight or nine years ago. Mm. I didn't see it for like maybe the first ten years of its life because it's a '99 film, I think. Yeah, '99 was a great year for film. Yes, I did. But, um, but, yeah. but funny enough, '99 is like is a is a decade is a, a year where a lot of films were centered around like the idea of being in an office and want want to escape that mundane. Yeah, you think Fight about Club. Fight Club, Matrix, Office Space. Yeah. Yeah, point, that kind point, of point of, a, of, yeah. of a film, American Beauty. You know, it's pre it's pre nine eleven. The you know, yeah. it, in, in an absence of that global threat, your biggest worry in life is you're bored at work. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, so, lose, so got, you losing your soul, losing your soul to the mundane is a new job, isn't it? Post post nine eleven, that wasn't big people's like big worries. Yeah. to be honest, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, no, the millennium on the horizon as well, so you kind of look into new new worlds, other possibilities, also looking to escape central, the everyday. Yeah, absolutely. The central plot of Office Space is the same scheme that Richard Pryor was doing in Superman 3. Yes. The taking yeah. the bits of money left over on salary. Yeah, so it's, it's the exact same plot. But... Um, Idiocracy, <laughs> and they reference it as well. <laughs> yeah, they do. Idiocracy is about the dumbing down of society. So mm. Luke Wilson finds himself five hundred years in the future for reasons that it's not that important to go into, and like the president is a dumb ex wrestler, and stuff like that. And the the Oscar winning film that year is like three hours of an asshole farting. Oh god! Like it, it's just and buildings. The, the start of the film basically is pointing out that like there's no. PC way to put this dumber people breed faster so like dumb hick families are having 12 kids while professionals keep putting off having kids 
And by the time they do, they try to do it, one of them dies or something. So 500 years in the future, the gene pool's weaker. So buildings are having to be held up by like ropes and shit. They, they can't even build properly. And the entertainment is dumbed down. And I think that is the comment of this in this society. Their news is like cheesy. And Adverts are really bad. And their entertainment is dumb and a bit based. It's, oh boy. It's, it's, <laughs> a a dumb, it's a dumb guy trying to get laid and just coming out with the same catchphrase. Isn't it's meant like to be, Bart Simpson's I read somewhere, I it's meant to be it. kind of like a, um, a, a well, kind of satire on like Benny Hill, those kind of shows. Could be. Yeah, even even though it's of a different era. I, it could be. I've, I've not really thought about that, to be honest. It, but it is definitely, this character has nothing but base desires and a catchphrase. A That's it. Catchphrase. So it's basically trying to show us this society has dumbed down a little. I think. Yeah. I, I would I, probably say the same, yeah. I mean, it's, it might be also a reflection on, like, TV in general, because you could probably make that, make that same sort of comment like now. Like you know, especially especially with like Love Island or what. Or what We're ahead fuck. of the curve. Okay. We're ahead of the curve on this stuff. You know, you think the first series of Big Brother was about eleven years after this? Yeah. yeah. Not thirty years after this or forty years after this. But it's always like the lowest common dom- uh, dominator like, in same that that tends to sort of be like really popular. Keep the population scared and uninformed. Yeah. So again, it, when cops die, instead of it. Instead of presenting it as this horror, yes, the public are scared, but they're scared of crime. They're not scared of world events. Mm. You're keeping them in the dark. You're playing that off as quite light. So it, it, all of that stuff's quite interesting. And it also intercuts with... Um, I, I don't know if they're at the same place he was shot at, but they're basically at this disused mill again. Yeah. And he's fixing himself. And he does take his mask off at this point. You don't like, you won't actually, like what you're about to see. <laughs> Isn't this makeup superb? Mm. It's amazing, isn't it? Can't it's really joint. incredible. In Today, that would be all CG. <laughs> in this era, where you had to say have people, part of people's face missing or a big wound, you had to build it out. So he's looked a bit bulky, and you could always see the join. I can't hear. No, I, I can't. This is years ahead of its time mm. in makeup. But then a, an awful lot of the budget for this film is around the look of mm. that character. So, yeah, so uh, he can't target and things like that. So she's having to manually do it so he can lock that on and sort yeah. of rebuild his auto Readjust. Yeah. Uh, and, then the, and then the baddies show up. Yeah, he does say before that he says, I feel them, but I can't remember them talking about his family. Mm. So his memories don't link to anything. Those images he saw in the home are all he knows. He didn't see that. And extrapolate it out to anything. Yeah, I can feel them, but I can't. It wasn't the extension of anything. It was like that was it. Yeah, that was it. So yeah, the bad guys turn up, and again, this film's really tight. We're straight into Mm. like the the final sort of action sequence, really. Um, I the I I when I watched this film, I thought of Becca two or three times. Is it fair to say, Becca, you're all right with violence? It's gore you're not good with, isn't it? That sounds a bit dodge. That's don't really fair, know. That's fair. Because um, I mean, I don't want to like coddle you too much. You're all right with violence in films. <laughs> I, I can tolerate it up to a certain point. Yeah, it's just like if it's overly gory and mm. limbs being lopped off left, right, and centre. And yeah, this is probably, this is probably about my threshold. It's quite a high threshold. This is this is a pretty violent film. This is about as high as I go, unfortunately. 
I'm, I'm not really a big fan of of like body horror and stuff. Like that. I, I appreciate you know it's a lot of the the, the style and, and obviously the, the technical innovations in terms of like makeup and effects that have, have come along with it. Definitely, you know, really huge respect for that kind of I, stuff. I have but to, but I just can't I stomach saw, it. <laughs> I saw Robocop when it was a fairly new film. I th- I have a feeling this is a bit of a guess, but I remember going to a birthday party when I was. I think it was someone's 13th, may have been their 12th. I'm sure it was 1989 or 90, one of the two. But there were only about five of us, and we had, he had fairly indulgent parents, not neglectful, but with the small group. If there'd been 30 of us there, we wouldn't have watched Robocop. But because there were five of us, and we were known to the parents, it was like, yeah, you can watch it. It's so, yeah, so we watched Robocop. And I, the only bit as a 12, 13-year-old that I was a little bit, oh, Christ, that was the toxic waste scene. And that's the only time I ever felt like that. Every time I watch it now, I just think, fuck me, that's genius. Yeah, the, um, the makeup and effects are incredible. It's horrifying. Yeah, Emil drives into some The effects are so good. It, it's just a bit, it does feel a little bit oh, like OTT and a bit it's unnecessary. It's meant to be, though. It's definitely meant to be. Like you know, it does. It did not need to be as drawn out as it Let's is. Let's just set the scene very quickly and then talk about it, Chris. In the midst of this battle, uh, Emil loses control of this van and drives into a vat yeah. of ta- toxic waste, side on into it. He pierces the side of it, and it flushes through the van completely, Ooh. flushes him out the back. Next thing you see, he stands up and his flesh is melting off him. The first thing you notice is when you watch it the first time is the face, because that's grotesque. Mm. But when you watch it on subsequent viewings, it's actually the hands that are the most impressive. Yeah. Because it looks like the flesh is coming off the bone, and you think, I don't know where they've done that. It's incredible. So he's melting, basically, isn't mm. he? He's literally melting. Oh, Anything else we want to say about this action uh, sequence? Really? It's, well, well, that bit, I just think it's, it, you know... I think it's a it's a gag that just sort of like just goes on a bit too long. It's just a little bit too outstretched. Um, yeah, he's he's stumbling along for only a few seconds, but it, it in your head it plays like it's minutes long. Yeah, because it comes yeah. back to someone else, and it's like you, you know they're they're chasing. He 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 goes to like what one the of the guy guys. He's helped me. Yeah. He's like oh yeah. no. And then he's pushed out the way. Don't touch me. And he's pushed yeah. out the way in front of like. He gets hit by. That's quite an iconic scene as well. Don't touch me, isn't yeah. it? That's quite. A... Clarence, quite yeah, a scene. yeah. Clarence gets distracted being chased by basically the cops, and he loses. He gets distracted, and when he looks around, he drives right into a meal, and a meal just basically disintegrates on the he, windscreen he, he, of the car. He, no, he literally splashes on the screen. Yeah, yeah, literally. It. So it hasn't just. It's not just his flesh. He's he's, in, he's just melted right through. Mm. Oh, it's gross. It, it is pretty gross, isn't it? And it ends up with basically. Um, it ends up with Lewis being shot several times and Robocop being basically stabbed through the chest mm. but by he, Clarence Bodiger. Yeah, but he manages oh. to use that uh, data spike, which was which just came up on the time. I think, oh, how how should you really get with um, how, how sort of like how do how should how should Robocop um, kill Clarence? And they thought to remember, oh, yeah, that data spike thing that we came up with. Oh, we'll just use that. <laughs> and it was just like okay absolutely brilliant um yeah the only reason he finds himself in that position is basically one of the other guys the one he tried to arrest in the club actually yeah. just drops a load of stuff on him because it's like a junkyard yeah. isn't it it's I a mean, little bit superman 3 that way that kind of junkyard almost mm-hmm. it isn't it's not the same look 
but there's lots of like cranes and stuff lifting garbage and stuff mm. around. And I, I just love I, that line at the end where she says, I'm in pretty bad shape. And he says, they'll fix you. They fix everything. <laughs> I think that sounds a bit company, man, for yeah. what's every, everything that's been done to him. Just shows what a conflicted being he now is, which obviously we carry on with in the second one. There's also an element of sarcasm there as well. <laughs> like a little bit of. Uh, so, yeah, so he's, he obviously starts to push. Obviously, he's wounded, but he pushes everything off and he drives down to uh, the. He drives to basically OCP headquarters, yeah. doesn't he? Where, where they were testing Ed 209 yeah. at the start. Um, Blows up Ed, the, the Ed 209. Yeah, because uh, Dick's giving a presentation again, and he's talking about having to get two hundred nine units all yeah. over the place. The old man's not been put off. Presumably, he's sold. We fixed whatever the problem is. Yeah. And he said, "There's one outside guard in the building as we speak." And then Robocop turns out and yeah, takes it out, doesn't he? Because mm-hmm. of course he's got the he's got the weapons that um, Clarence yeah, has yeah. just been using. Basically, like kind of rocket launcher type guns, aren't they? Yeah, just blows him out with one shot. Um, and then walks, yeah, just right. walks into the building. Yeah. Goes up to the long panel. There's a big bank of cathode ray TVs. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, which is another thing that dates the film gloriously. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's futuristic yet dated at the same time. That's lovely, though, isn't it? Um, it's a nice puts the spike in and plays uh, Dick um, confessing Yeah. to him earlier in the film. Yeah. To which Dick immediately grabs the old man and puts a gun to his head. And demands a chopper, doesn't he? To yeah. Get out yeah, of get it. Get a chopper. The, get to the, the chopper. The, the same gun that was uh, used to give to the guy that got shot in the beginning as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So obviously he can't. He, he can't kill him, or he can't do anything because. Yeah, he, he says is. you can't arrest me. You cannot arrest me. So so, but he 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 mentions he kind of he kind of mention, mentions it. So like obviously the the old man twigs and goes, oh okay, well. You're, You're fired. fired. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> elbows him, elbows him back, and then he's just shot to shit and falls yeah. out, the wind, and then falls kind of like Hans Gruber style, yeah. by the way, against basically shoddy back projection. <laughs> with, with, with you know with that with the uh, the overextended arms, it looks. Like... Yeah, yeah, it's not a very good shot when you look at it, but it's a great film. Yeah, uh, and then he says, "Nice shooting, son. What's your name?" Murphy. 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 <laughs> Walks out. <laughs> and that's it. It just kind of chops. Very choppy ending. How tight is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long is the film? I, I forgot. 102 minutes. Yeah, that's all you need. One hour 42. To be fair, it kind of it did zip by. I didn't notice any part drag. I didn't. That may be theatrical. So I'm looking at Wikipedia, and I think that's theatrical. I, I'm sure. When I watched it on Netflix, it was one hour forty-three and something. Yeah, it was one hour forty-something, so wasn't it? The extra, streamings that are extra, available. That extra, not with Robocop on it though, unless you buy it from like Amazon or something. So I think the uh, that's the uncut version, and that extra minute are those few extra bits. Is the credits? Yeah. So I just think I don't know how long the sequels are. So you know, in terms of final thoughts, I don't know what how long the sequels are. Um, I guess I'll find out when I sort of come to them over the next couple of weeks. But I was shocked when I put this film on how short it was because I remember it being quite a dense film. And then you watch it and it's a handful of very tightly interlinked scenes that all have a point. The only sort of, even the sort of more emotional bit, like like the going to the home, tells you a lot of thing, a lot of stuff. So that's the only bit where the film really takes a breath. I think everyone in it's really terrific. 
particularly the villains, particularly Ronnie Cox and Kurtwood Smith. I think they, they really stand out in this one. Murphy's an observer of the world in this, so you don't want too big a uh, performance. And actually, Peter Weller, when I watch Peter Weller in this, I mean, he may have been the wrong age, but he's uh, whenever I, I talk about active and passive characters quite a lot, and I always use that example from Apocalypse Now that they cast uh, Martin Sheen because when they put Harvey Keitel in that role, he was just too busy. They needed a man who could stand on a boat and just look out at the world and you sense things going on behind the eyes. And Peter Weller has that. Peter Weller could have been in that film. He could have played that mm. role. And so he's actually... Everything's happening to him in this film. He's, he's actually not that active as a protagonist in a lot of ways, apart from the action bits, but it just works perfectly. I think everyone, everyone in the film that speaks has a point. I think some of the gang are a little bit interchangeable in that apart from a meal, I need to look their names up, but I think that's standard of a film of this type. You get a bunch of sort of cronies around the main bad guy and you don't really care who they are. And they do tend to overlap at everything. And that gets a bit tiresome. But apart from that, it's just a really tight film with just so many layers to it that you can ignore if you want. There's nothing worse than a film that tries to sort of moralise to you and force you to mm. think. This film can just be watched as an action film if you want, and it's perfectly serviceable. But there's loads to think about, and it doesn't even have a consistent point of view. In that there, this film was once described as a liberal film, uh, a fascist film made by liberals. In that it's a liberal, it's a liberal liberal perspective shot in the most violent way possible, and I'm not actually sure that that's true because at the end of the film, Murphy is still very much a company man, mm. and you know. No, I don't, I don't think that doesn't uh, hold up with me. No, I, well, interesting though. But then that that's to Dave's also a point, which is like it's open to interpretation, isn't it? Mm. Well, it is. It is. Exactly. The, he's not reprogrammed, and at the start of the second film, he's still an OCP cop. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He, he, For me, he finishes the film as a company man, despite everything that's happened to him. He's still protecting the old man. He's still t- doing right he by the law. He still has a change and, in that respect. Um, yeah, you can argue with that, and you might be right. But um, I, So I just think, that, you know, and there, there are bits in the film, Ed Morton. Ed Morton's a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy. So there's different perspectives on on all of these things that you can look at. So I think I'll just stop there. I just think this is an outstanding film. It's more niche than some of the stuff we're going to cover. I don't think it's got the wide appeal of a sort of Terminator film. I think um, I'd be surprised if the Terminator didn't outgross it worldwide. Um, but it's it's terrific. It, it really is. It, it's very of its decade, which makes it a perfect time capsule film as well. It would be in the debate for like, what would you put into really highlight films. what the 80s is? Yeah, it's, it's very much, as you say, of its time, isn't it? It's very uh, yes, much an 80s it's, film. It's the future, but it's the future from um, the 80s perspective. Mm. It's an extrapolation of that world. It's view on where capitalism was going, things like Star Wars, things like entertainment, things like newscasting. We were just starting to get to 24-hour news networks and things like that. Um, it's it's the 80s. It's the 80s look at what the future might be. Um, it's quite a materialistic world and so on. And it's very about the haves and have-nots, which you know, became a sort of big issue in that decade. So I'm just going to stop there, folks. What it, do you want it's it's almost like a foreboding of, like, you know, corporatism as well, you know, like, of of all crony capitalism, or whatever the, the terminology is. It's like when the corporations get get so big that they, they end up, like, t- taking over. It's not as blunt as capitalism as bad. It's, yeah. it's this... 
it's this type of capitalism. It's the it's capitalism in the wrong hands. This I I think I think this you know you could easily sort of plan this as like a right wing movie. You, you know, do you know what I mean? Like you could like you could easily believe like like a right winger directed this, not just like a liberal. Do you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. If I'd read if I'd read this was a John Millius film, I yeah. just about believe it. Just about. There well, he's quite he's quite visceral before. anyway. He was very much like about like I don't know just yeah. Give, give you something that will shock you and make you provoke you to think about something. You know what I mean? That that's his style. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's all, all very open to interpretation. But I'll leave it there. What about you guys? Yeah, I think this is very much like a like a like a punk movie. Uh, it's it's it, 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 it's very very visceral. Open to interpretation. I think one of the, the good things about um, you know uh, I think I said Paul well there first. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I was like, don't say Paul well. Peter well. He was a changing man through this. <laughs> yes. I mean, I didn't recognise him in his peacock suit, you know, but uh, you know. <laughs> but uh, yes. Yeah, not, not only was he the mod father, he was also the uh, Robo mod father. Yeah, <laughs> but no, um, he also uh, Peter well also had the uh, the, uh, the right voice as well. Yes. You know, he had the right voice, he had the right chin. It's distinctive. It's yeah. distinctive. You know Peter Weller the moment you hear him. Yeah. yeah he is iconic in the role. And and, and, he looks, and he sounds like, you know, almost like a little bit robotic, a little bit, you know. Oh, the, the voice is processed, which helps. Yeah. It sounds like it's coming. It does sound. It's not treated in the. It doesn't sound quite robotic. It's his voice, mm. but it's got a very slight echo on it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not coming out of a and human and chest. It's, and it's very for, formal as well, so he's got a very formal kind of like... Anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah uh, again, it's, it's it's very tight, very very interesting to talk about as well. So yeah, I, you know, it's... As you said, Dave, it's very much uh, a, a film of the 80s, definitely. I think it's going to be very interesting when we get to the third one, not for the quality of the film, because my memories of it are not good, but I've only seen it once. And it was another film that it took, it was on the shelf for a while. It took a while to be released. And when it did come out, I didn't see it immediately. So I, I didn't see Robocop 3 till maybe 2000, something like that, 99, 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. But I can't remember what Robert John Burke's voice sounds like, because it's not his, it's not him in the third one. And actually, my imagination now, when I think I can't remember that film, is how can you have this without Peter Peter Weller's voice, as much yeah. as anything else, you know? You, but there you go. That's quite. That'll be interesting to see. And how they stretch the franchise, because that's a much more family-friendly film. Yeah, compared. Yeah, compared to this one, for sure. <laughs> but do you, has it been positive for you, Becca, overall? Even though uh, there are elements of it that are a little bit difficult to watch. Uh, yes, generally it has. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I kind of thought because I, I know it had like this this kind of controversial reputation, and Verhoeven is certainly a controversial director as well. Um, but there's always an inherent truth in you know the films that he makes, and this is definitely one of the best films of the eighties, um, along with *The Living Daylights* and *License to Kill*, and all the other porn <laughs> movies we saw in the eighties. All, all the all the eighties big hitters. But yeah, it kind of has its kind of vision of the future very much in that eighties prism where you're still wearing the shoulder pads and the big hair and the neon colours. Um, but no, this, yeah, I'm interested to see the um, see the films that, that followed, because I've, I've not seen them. Um, and also to, you know, go around to watching the remake as well and to see if that still has the same biting satire, I guess. I probably think it won't, 
but we'll it's, see. It's it's recognisably RoboCop, but it's as I say, I, I won't spoil it now. But when we get there, it's very much it's what a studio needs to do to get back on its feet. Sure, yeah, it, it was very much of that time, wasn't it? I think it is. Yeah. Quick, that's um, what we do for I mean, when you think about it, the only bit I will say is when you think about it, if you're MGM and you're coming back from bankruptcy and everything you've done has been put on hold, your first priority will be James Bond because it's yeah. your biggest hitter. So obviously Skyfall got was had already had some development done on it as well because Sam Mendes carried on as a consultant in that year or so. They weren't formally in, in any sort of pre-production. So Bond was a little bit more advanced anyway. And there'd been various versions of scripts by Peter Morgan and stuff like that. But that came out in the autumn of 2012. I seem to remember Robocop remake came out of Aaron Valentine's Day in 14. Mm-hmm. And when you think, well, it's not going to be as high priority as Bond. So as you get Bond finished, you move on to Robocop. And yeah. so, yeah, they were, they, they were looking for franchises, basically. It's a bit of a kind of placeholder, I guess. Yeah, we're looking for franchises, and if you're looking for franchises, you need a broader audience. It's the same principle. Good cast, as... though. We've got like Gary Oldman, uh, Michael Keaton. Yeah. It's not a train wreck, I promise you. No, no, I heard good things. I just kind of missed out on it. Unfortunately, just, it, I didn't get around to seeing it. The, sadly, the, the thing I think I'll say from the offshoot is that um, it it doesn't quite work, really work, but at least it tries. It it, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like it isn't a, a formulaic kind of like slog it, it you know it at least it it at least went down trying something you know what i mean so it's like it's like an honorable failure in that regard yeah joel kinnaman's another one to add to that list that's the one like um like ryan reynolds pre-deadpool like um affleck for a period of time as well where they did all the right things for the right reasons and didn't get the results that you'd expect them to get joel kinnaman's a bit like that he, he appeared in you know if you want a new franchise, something that can be yours and something that you can build, bringing back Robocop's not a bad bet. Yeah. <clears throat> but obviously it didn't quite happen. Didn't quite set the, uh, set the franchise alight. Yeah, I mean, Joel Kinnaman's turned up in a few things over the years since he was in um, House of Cards. That was it. I was trying to think where I've seen him. Um, and he, he's, he's quite, every time I see him, I think you're quite good. Mm. You know, there, there's not much wrong with him. But uh, we'll address that in, well, actually four weeks, as I say, because we've got a Robocop sequel, then we've got Tarantino, then we've got the third one, then that one. So we'll get to it. But as for this film, I might know it's very 80s, but Chris, what else do you know about it? Fuck all. (laughs) I I know it's got a robot. Robo, a robot and a car. Oh, it's got a robot in it. A robot in it. Oh, right. <laughs> I did. I did see a meme where it was part part man, uh, part cop, part boat, or uh, no, part man, part boat, or cop. And it was a it was a photoshopped one yeah. where his bottom half was a boat. Robo's cop. That's all I know. Boat, cop. I don't, I don't... <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. Yeah, I'd buy a boat for a dollar. That'd be cool. So, Becca, enlighten us. Not sure, but also where I saw Joe Kinnaman. Um, he was in the US remake of The Killing. I've the not brilliant... seen that. That's a TV show, isn't it? I heard. Yeah, brilliant Scandi Noir. Check it out. Is the remake good, or is or are you the the original the is fantastic? Yeah. The remake, interesting. I shall say. Even the, the Hannah TV series as well. I'm, I saw yeah, the I saw that. That that, that was re- I quite enjoyed that film. It was a good film. He was in Suicide Squad in the role that was originally going to be Tom Hardy, and Tom Hardy dropped out. Yeah. But again, he was all right. 
he was fine. It was okay. That's what okay. I'm saying about that film. It was alright. Yeah, I've got a couple of fun facts. See, so yeah, a couple of really random mixed facts. A few facts about the cast, and then the rest of them are facts about Detroit. So, okay. how about that? Um, obviously, we mentioned at the top of the film, there's a big crossover between the worlds of Batman and Star Trek. Um, this film features actors who also featured in Batman. Peter Weller obviously famously voiced Batman. Um, the is obviously related to George Clooney, who played Batman. Um, and Ray Wise has actually voiced um, Commissioner Gordon in the animated series. Um, along with Danny Hurley, who we mentioned earlier, um, on the 1992 animated series. <coughs> and of course, as I just mentioned, um, 2014 remake features Gary Oldman and Michael Keaton, who are both featured in the Batman movies and in the Dark Knight series. Obviously, the other connection is Star Trek. Um, we obviously appeared in um, Star Trek 3. Uh, Ronnie Cox appeared in Next Generation. Kurt Smith was actually the president of the United Federation of Planets. Um, he was in Star Trek 6, yes. Yes. Looking vaguely, he wasn't a Klingon, but with the hair and everything, he could have been sort of thing. Yeah, he had sort of a very unique hairstyle there, didn't he? Ronnie Cox, just to jump in on that very quickly, the episode you need to look if look at if you want to see um, Ronnie Cox in Star Trek The Next Generation, it's a double episode from season six called Chain of Command. Um, it's it's the one where Patrick Stewart's uh, character, John Luke Picard, is actually tortured. He's tortured by David Warner, actually. Um, there are four lights! There are four lights! That's that film. Uh, but he's taken from command of the Enterprise to go on this mission and replaced by Captain Jellico, who immediately pisses the entire crew off, and that's Ronnie Cox. He's really good in it. So they all play. They're basically Star Trek villains, don't they? Well, <laughs> he's not. He's less a villain and more just a bit officious and a bit stern. So um, he turns up, tries to impose all his ways, is very sort of sceptical of the way the ship's being run and he's just you just end up thinking what an asshole but he's very very good in it so yeah the episode chain of command is the one sorry anyway carry on becca no that's right no you carry on definitely days fun facts <laughs> yes but just that one but carry on sponsored velvety facts velvety facts there you are <laughs> brought to you by ginster's pasties <laughs> I, I, i'll have meaty facts um, you have meaty facts. There's no fruit in this film, so you can have meaty facts. Yeah, facts, and uh, obviously yeah. uh, Beckers is fun. So <laughs> Chris Burns Pork Minute. <laughs> what would I say? Meaty item or something like that. Uh, Chris's Corner. Mm. Pork Minute, yes, because it literally is a minute. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually longer than a minute. Yeah. Uh, you'll see. You'll have heard our uh, licensed uh, Living Daylight show by the time you hear this and. Um, show notes and stuff and yes yeah, Chris, has, Chris has some trenchant views on meats <laughs> hopefully that will make sense um, yes yeah, so cold cooked meat mines but <laughs> cold meats just, yes just cold meats okay just cold meats. he's not weighed in on like <laughs> hot food yet <laughs> look for that on our next bond commentary <laughs> well now I know not what to you know if I'm making a sandwich not what to put in a sandwich yeah. Anyway, that and Marmite coming last week. <laughs> I think that'd be a really gross yeah. combination anyway. Be, because, you know, how can you not talk about Living Daylights without talking about Marmite? Cold Pizza and Marmite. <laughs> and, the uh, nation's favourite yeast spread. <laughs> yeah. All the, all the relevant <laughs> stuff. Anyway, Becca, sorry. Yeah, so all, all the most important things. So, yes, my final. 
three. I can't count. Yeah, my final facts are about Detroit. Obviously, um, I didn't realise this. Um, City District is actually the second largest in America, um, bested only by New York City. And it's got like the largest seating capacity um, outside of New York theatres. Um, fun fact number four, obviously it's famously the home of Motown, um, including legendary acts such as uh, Marvin Gaye, Diana Ross and Steve Wonder. Um, and and also, Paul apparently, it's also the birthplace of techno music, which is quite interesting. The back, birthplace of where? Um, like techno. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, okay, kind of uh, that's, that's, that's debatable, but... Hmm. The, the boxing trainer, Emmanuel Stewart, worked out of that town as well, so like boxes like Thomas Hearns came from there. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And it's famously a city of firsts, um, obviously in terms of the US. Um, obviously the first car made there in yes, 1896. Um, obviously... The city that Henry Ford built, um, first concrete road, um, was made there in 1901 in America, um, and the first freeway being created there in 1942, and also the first international tunnel, but I can't remember the date, <laughs> um, between um, Detroit and, uh, and Canada as well. So the city of innovations and other things. <laughs> Many technological other innovations is what I was trying to say. Okay, that's fun, folks. They're not sponsored by by the city of Detroit. So, yeah. It would have to be some technological sponsor for that city. So, you know, brought to you by the Sinclair C5. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's fun. Was that, was that all of the facts, Becca? Because I feel quite informed. Uh, I had five, and those are the five facts that I have. I... I, I, I think we should just record the podcast again after after all that knowledge. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, because that, that was embarrassing, talking about idiocracy <laughs> and stuff. What's the, I'm so knowledgeless, what's the dumbest thing I can reference? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, you can find me Brilliant. at TheCastyKid1976 on Twitter. Uh, you can find uh, me on Cinematronics on Twitter. You can also find all the podcasts on cinematronicsco.uk. Uh, all our shows on uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, anywhere you care to look, you'll find it. Yes, yeah, so you can find us on Twitter at Expect Us to Talk. You can find us on Facebook, Do you Expect Us to Talk, and also the same on YouTube. And yeah, we are also on, we are everywhere now. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. Like, Just don't research for us. And we'll we like there. Quantum. We have people everywhere. Have people everywhere. Florence just used that expression. Yeah. The thing is, I've never once heard Florence, Florence just use that expression. Or Florence. <laughs> or Florence. No Florence, Florence to Florence. Who is this Florence? She gets around. She was on the original pilot of the show, which doesn't exist, thankfully, because it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> She's the forgotten one girl. And that's measured against the standard we're doing now. Yeah. So, yeah, it really was bad. <laughs> Kicked her out. No good. No fault. <laughs> I flew you out. Well, no fault. <laughs> no. Okay, yes, anywhere it... else we can be found? That's it, isn't it? If you want to email us, you can drop us a line at xfactorstalk at gmail.com. If you've eaten a, a dodgy sandwich involving cold, cold meats, meats and marmite, let us know. <laughs> yeah, cold meats or marmite, or cold meats and marmite. We don't mind. If you want to write about them both in the same email or email us twice, that's fine. Likewise, listeners, off topic, if you have um, any suggestions for us, if there's a film or film series that we haven't covered and you would like us to cover, drop us a line, let us know, tweet us, Facebook. We're we'll take, all ears. 
will take a long time to get to them because we know what the next several are. But like somebody genuinely asked for Predator the other day and it wasn't on the list. So um, I can't remember whether I've now put it on there, but we'll get to it because we all saw that suggestion and thought, yeah, OK, because we don't think of everything. Um, largely, we'll stay away from horror. We'll definitely do a couple of series and we, we kind of know what they are. But um, we won't do a lot of that sort of stuff. But yes, yeah, suggestions will be considered, definitely, because our list is based on what we can think of and you don't think of everything. No, <laughs> I think between us, we've covered, we've got quite a long list. The list, is about, the, the, the list is getting on for 50 different things and this is about the 13th series. We'll be here forever. We'll be here forever, which is actually the point, really. We don't really want to run out in two years' time and stop, so that's no. fine. So, yeah, absolutely. We'll be like uh, um, now playing and doing it after a decade. Yeah, trouble is now playing genuinely seem to have done anything good. Mm. They are really struggling for content now. Well, maybe not in terms of what listeners want to see, because they've got a bit more of a horror bent anyway. But they seem to do series now where I just look at it and go, I don't care. And some Whereas series they, now are behind a paywall as well. Well, they, they, they do Which is understandable. Are they doing earnest films now or something? No, oh, they haven't got quite that far yet. <laughs> no. no they're, they're still doing decent content and they're still a decent show. They've, they've monetized more over time in that they used to twice a year do a donation drive where there'd be a series and it might be like five episodes of something. But now they've got several levels and you'll end up with like some levels where there are just dozens of podcasts and they're all behind a paywall. Well, up to them, it's their model. They, they're not, they're not, um, they're not beholden to put everything out for free by any means. So no, I don't, mean, I don't do. mean to be critical, it. but it's not what I'd want to do. I, you know, I, I don't mind doing Patreon things, but I think Patreon things is an idea, and it's not something we're promoting really at the moment. Partly because we've put no thought to it, because money's not really what we think about. So we we set up a Patreon and then never really thought about it again, but. If you do want a specific show, like we said, think about one-offs you like and series we may not cover. Um, I don't see us thinking about a series and going, we'll put that one behind a paywall. You're not going to find, well, we'll do a donation drive and just put Jaws behind a paywall. We're not going to yeah. do that. So yeah. Hopefully we'll have, uh, we'll have content for years. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we will hit, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be allowed, we'll definitely be around long enough to hit that episode limit on the iTunes, <laughs> I'd have thought. So, yeah, we're not going anywhere. But, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at um, now playing, and a lot of the time they're putting new episodes on old series. Well, that's fair enough. But, yeah, there's, they're running, they seem to sort of be running out of series a little bit. But then they've been they've been at it for years to yeah. be fair, and I, I I don't want anyone who's never heard now playing to take that as a negative comment. Actually, no, please don't. Go, please do go check them out. They're one of our biggest influencers. They don't. They're big influence on me. Well, you know, Definitely, if I, was name, yeah, if I was to name the three or four podcasts that shape what I am, they're one of them. And I'm now nothing like them because obviously you take flavors of lots of different things and then almost forget it. And 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 and, throw, and throwing y- y- yourself in there as well, you know, it's like your own thing, isn't it? But but there's three of us who turn up every week and do whole series of retrospectives, and that's what they are. Mm-hmm. They are much more professional than us in good and bad ways, in that they never miss a week. We occasionally miss a week. They put out more content than us, in that they probably do a hundred podcasts a year with all. They the do a lot of written content as well. Um, I don't tend to read a lot of that, but I have read some of it. They uh, do I'm highly edited as well, so it's all. Mm, but it's true. highly edited. You won't hear ums and ahs and stuff like that in their shows. They edit them very carefully, but 
for all of that they're really really good so it's not a criticism at all they just like anybody who aren't us they'll do stuff we wouldn't do because they're not us so they'll make decisions where you go i wouldn't do it like that and and one of the things is putting so much of it behind a paywall it's now at the point where whole series you wouldn't hear without money and we won't do that but we and even where someone pays for an episode we'll put it public for you all okay so we that that's what we do but yeah check out now playing uh now playing podcast.com i'm quite happy to promote them because they are an influence the take on on um, on dalton though is garbage their take on bond was garbage because it's not their thing <laughs> yeah but i listened to them all and it wasn't arnie's thing for example yeah. so I think Brock was better. the only big bond fan really wasn't he yeah, and he's not. He was an original presenter on the show, and he still does all the voiceover stuff. But with family and that, he doesn't really do it anymore. And he's largely been replaced by Jacob. Mm-hmm. Their core three are Jacob Stewart and uh, Arnie, and they're really, really good. I'm more than happy to promote them. But like anything yeah, like else, those. people will make decisions where you go, "I wouldn't do it like that." Yeah. We we don't edit as much as they do. I do edit the show, and I do cut things, and I do clean up recordings, and I do very occasionally move things around. But they edit every single um, art, ah, cough, and everything out, and I wouldn't do that. They're more professional than us. It's as simple as that. But we're not looking to be professional. We're trying to get you listening they, in. They on probably the chat. have to in the resources yeah. to do it. Whereas we're trying to get stuff. you listening in the <laughs> chat. The more I can forget, there's a format, the better. But there you go. Anyway, so that's Robocop underway. Really, really enjoyed that tonight. So next week, Becca. Do you expect to talk or return with Robocop 2? 